23 Skidoo, it's Red Pages Podcast, coming to you. Everybody, it is the 17th of October, 2015. This is episode 63 of the Dead Pages Bloodcast. Uh, I'm Justin, and I am a spooky Halloween voice. Um, I'm 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 Gord, and I'm carrying my head under my elbow. I'm Paul, and I am a skeleton covered by other stuff. Very other spooky stuff. <laughs> like a bunch of gristle and meat and uh, blood. Maybe some, some skin. muscle. Yeah, <laughs> muscles and skin. Some hair. <laughs> Very spooky hair. And we have we have a guest with us, this this spookloween guest. Who who are you? And and I am Ed Del Castillo, the ghost that haunts the machine. Ooh, nice. Longtime listeners may remember Ed from. I'm gonna stop this voice. Longtime <laughs> listeners may remember Ed from way back in March of 2014 on episode 10 wow. of Red Pages podcast. Guys, it has been so long. So much stuff has happened in the past <laughs> 50 years. <laughs> the yeah, yeah a lot of things have changed in 50 years. Let's let's name them all. <laughs> What has changed in the past 50 years, starting at the beginning? Well, there was the, uh, the, the robot overlord <laughs> yep. uprising. Uh-huh, okay. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Google took over. Uh, we had mm-hmm. that invasion from Jupiter. Uh, no one saw it coming, and it drastically changed the way that uh, the world economy works. Sh- sure, I mean, but then the robots beat beat off the Jupiter aliens. Plan 9. So it was okay. <laughs> they yeah. canceled each other out. Yeah. We invented hoverboards and self-lacing shoes. Oh, no, wait. Oh, it- wait, that that's not for another, what? Uh, um, four, five oh, days. I don't. We don't have that tech <laughs> yet. <laughs> All right. So, so uh, what? Question of the week for us is what the question of the week always is. I guess the first question: What are the haps? What have we been up to? What are some cool things that we have been doing, or reading, or watching, or experiencing? Actually, I I just yeah. want to point out that um, with uh like. Talking about like self tying shoelaces and hoverboards and stuff, um, we have until the end of this month to release enough feature length films that are sequels to Jaws for that part of Back to the Future to be correct. I think Hollywood is on that case. Right. Well, so so I, I remember seeing like a while back, someone had put an article like, guys, we can do this. We only need to release a 40 minute length film. It doesn't need to make any sense, but it has to be a sequel to Jaws, has to have the title Jaws something. Be 40 minutes long. Release it to the world somehow, and we can make this a reality. I'm really wondering what how far we're uh, got. Well, I mean, it's I mean, t- today, today, I, I, according to Facebook, right? Today is the day that Marty McFly came back in time, uh, forward in time, I guess, to to 2015, and uh, also yesterday was as well, and the day before that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. There's the uh, the, uh, the the console panel in the DeLorean, and people have just been photoshopping that. Uh, there's a there's a website that years. generates 
it for you. Oh, nice. You just put in the date. And wouldn't it, it have been cool if we we had taken that as a to-do list? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah okay. that would be really sweet. Um, I prefer that version of the future than the one of the version of the future from slightly later in the movie where everything is lightning all the time and there is just a single thousand story skyscraper uh, with yeah. fake donald trump at trump the top power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. yeah college uh, humor has this great video of like marty jumping marty and doc jumping forward into today and him explaining like the difference between like he keeps talking about the future from the movie he's like well i'll just jump on my hover no there's no hoverboard <laughs> you have this other thing you know, it, it, it's, it's, you got to see it. It's just totally awesome. Yeah. Although I have been seeing these things, people around here, they seem to be pretty popular. Uh, and not just outdoors, but even inside, I've seen people riding them. They're like a... Uh, Segway-like things. Yeah, they're like a Segway, but they don't have any handles. Yeah, so yeah. it's kind of like a skateboard that's electronic and rolls forward just by you leaning forward a little bit. Right. And it's kind of like a hoverboard. I think it's called a hoverboard. Except that it doesn't hover. Yes. And you are bored while using it. <laughs> Maybe. I've never used one. Uh, it seems like it would be incredibly dangerous to just be leaning forward with nothing to hold on to. Right. Right. But I guess that it works because I see a bunch of people using it. Yeah, I saw a kid with one today and, and he seems to have mastered the leaning forward with your lower body while not leaning forward with your entire body okay kinematics so he's he's, he's like, like a like knees. a cool lean yeah, he's like bending his knees so he can twist forward his legs mm. you know and and then that allows him to steer without necessarily putting his whole body weight forward of center man i all i'm learning from this is that i am no longer cool <laughs> I don't know. It, it, or maybe we're learning that we're, we're getting to the point where some things that are invented just aren't cool. Uh, I don't a, know. A... Does technology work that way? <laughs> it's like, we, we have the technology. We can be lame. There, yeah. there was a, uh, just now a okay, fourth earthquake. Oh, there was an earthquake? Yeah, that's number four in 24 hours. Whoa. Ah, like, just now? Yeah, just then. Oh. That, that's good, though. Yeah. Right, uh, I guess. I guess because yeah. I'm still alive. Uh, yeah, I was say, did anything br like? Was it? I didn't hear anything, so it must not have been huge. Mm. That one was the most gentle yet. No, like I had a I had a Caltech guy explain it to me once. He said, "Be worried when it doesn't rumble, ah. because that means the pressure's building. What you want? So I, what you want is many small ones all the time. I've heard that California has earthquakes, but I've yet to experience one since moving here. So." I think they might be saving it up. <laughs> so if you, if you go to the Caltech website, you will see that we're getting them all the time. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. Think, maybe maybe they're just so minor yeah, that I can't feel them. We think we're on land, but we really aren't. <laughs> we're on like some shifting sand thing. Huh. You're on this uh, giant hoverboard. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. The the camera pulls back and everything is just sitting <laughs> on one of those things, and then the logo flashes. Speaking That's of uh. Speaking of Doc and Marty, I've been watching Rick and Morty. Who else has been watching Rick and Morty? I watched two episodes of Rick and Morty, which was two episodes that I had ever seen last week. It is. Yeah, uh, I watch it when my roommate has it on. It's super good, and the uh, the season finale of season two is uh, kind of devastating. Mm. I don't know if I would describe it as super good, but there were enough 
parts in it that I thought were funny that I can't say it was bad. Yeah, so, like, it's, I mean, it starts off as funny and, uh, as you describe it, not bad. And it uh, only gets better consistently. I watched the first episode of season two and the first episode of season one. All right. I, I recommend you watch them in order. Yeah, it was because I searched for episode one and it was episode one, but it was the episode one of the wrong season. Mm. So. Yep. Have you been doing anything other than watching Rick and Morty? Yeah, I, uh, uh, oh wait, hang on. I've got these in the wrong order. No, you know, I think I'm going to put uh, Player's Handbook into the games segment. Okay. Uh, and that, uh, that and Earthquakes are, are it for me, really. Earthquakes. Oh, all right. Uh, Paul, what have you been doing? Um, I've watched more of the new TV that's on this uh, fall season, and um, okay. having watched more of Heroes Reborn, I can safely say it is a bad, it is bad television, and do not watch it. I, I got I'm through, shocked. shocked. I got through the third or fourth episode, and they took like the most interesting character and just made him all exposition, which ruins the character. And uh, there's like no. Like, like the, all the CG is super bad. Like, it's, like, as if it were still 2006, uh, and that show was being made back then. They're just trying to nail the, the feel of the show. Yeah, exactly. The, the one that bombed terribly back then. Um, so, it's bad. I can't recommend it. Um, I can recommend Brooklyn Nine-Nine, because that show is still great. I really enjoy watching um, that show, even though many people, for some reason, do not like Andy Samberg. But I think mm. it's great. Uh, I like his wife. She makes good music. Uh, I can't remember who she is right now. Neil, Joanna Neil Gaiman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's married to Neil Gaiman. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yep, got it. Yeah, no, uh, I, I like Joanna Newsom a lot. And I wish that they would release a collaboration album because of their wildly disparate musical styles. I don't, I don't <laughs> think that will ever happen, but I would be very interested to, to see how No, that uh, it won't happen because apparently... He is afraid that if they do, her fans will murder him. <laughs> so, uh. That's, that's pretty fair. Yeah. Yep. That's it for you? Yeah. You don't have any impressions about Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Uh, it's, it's just a solid show. What is, what is Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Like, what is it about? Oh, it's a, it's a, um, workplace comedy, uh, based around a, uh, precinct in Brooklyn. Um, and it's all just like, it's a sitcom. Andy Samberg's very funny. Okay. And it, it also has Terry Crews being his, like, uh, gentle giant character, which is always pretty great. All right. Uh, Ed, what have you been up to? So let's see. Let's, let's start from the top down here. I think right. that the, the biggest thing I've been up to is I've been trying to remove what I'll call dead-end games from my life. Okay. So uh, let me try to explain that. Uh, I think there are a lot of video games out there and a lot of board games out there that leave me with nothing at the end of them, right? Mm -hmm. I, I play them and then they just end and hence the kind of pun, dead end. Um, they just kind of end and it's over and it's done, right? As opposed to having something that's more inspirational and leads me to think a little more. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, for example, I've been playing some Darkest Dungeon. Right. Uh, yeah. And it's one of the few video games right now that leaves me like, I walk away from it feeling a little dirty and wondering why and then thinking about that a little bit. And 
you know, and it's hard and, and it stresses me like it stresses the characters I'm playing. And it's just, I still, you know, it's still a piece of jerky that I'm chewing on, right? It's still, it gives me something after the game. Whereas I've been getting rid of, you know, like when we spoke last time, we dove, we dove deep into things like Hearthstone, right? right. And, and I have been removing games like that from my life. Because uh, as much as pretty and as good as Hearthstone is, uh, I'm doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And since I can't play with my friends, and that's another big issue for me lately, uh, which leads me to, I also have a lot of commentary on D&D 5e, so we'll <laughs> wait for the game section for that. Um, so I think Darkest Dungeon is great. Um, I, I, I wish they hadn't released it so early so that I could have experienced... I, I need to teach myself to just play the release and not play early access. Right? And that's what I do. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what Gordon and I have a disagreement <laughs> about whether that's the right thing to do. So, so I, I've, been, I've been on board with Darkest Dungeon for as, for as long as you could be on board, and I now believe that's the wrong way to play it. Um, or the wrong way to play a game, because I feel like I'm I'm trying to watch the movie as it's being filmed and then trying to enjoy the release I think is going to be hard. So I'm about to take a break knowing that they're, you know, going to be done soon. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think that game for people who like hard games, for people who like great art, I think the, the art is amazing um, and, and consistent, right, which I love. And... Um, thematically stellar in terms of like I don't feel any piece of it yet anyway is like cheesy I don't feel like anything is a cop-out and so you know hats off to those guys for staying true you know like their their scripts are so good they're they're just like that you know when when the narrator talks and when it's just I just, I really, really enjoy that kind of thought given to a game. It's on my to-get list. Yeah, wait till release. I think. Uh, I wanted to get it on my PlayStation Vita so I would have something to play on my PlayStation Vita, but it is not <laughs> out on that platform yet. You know, so. it's funny because it, it does feel like I'm playing this thing and I'm like, man, I would do anything for the iPad version of this or for the iPhone version of this. Yeah. I just wouldn't stop playing it if it was, if it was on an iPad. Or not on an iPhone. Hmm. Well, that's that's encouraging that I have chosen the right platform then. Right. Yeah. But PC right. is great too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I just don't own it on PC, right. and I figure if I'm gonna buy it, I I think I want a portable version if it's all the same. Right. Which is unusual. I usually like a PC version of something, but for some reason that just seems like the right platform for it. Yeah, and and it is bite sizable. So yeah, yeah, that's another great reason. Yep. I guess I'm the only one left in this particular segment then. So uh, um, I watched... Uh, oh, I did have one oh, more thing. Oh, okay, go for it. So I fell deeply in love with Mr. Robot also. Okay. Oh, yeah. I am the only one who hasn't watched it, so I'm sure you have plenty of sympathetic ears here. I stopped okay. watching it. Really? Oh, come on, man. Yeah, so I, I got to the second fridge in a row, and I just didn't really feel like continuing. Anyway, sorry, what, what, what was your the second? The second one in a row? Ah, uh, the the second uh, girlfriend in a fridge, uh, which I mean, I guess the the second one is a little distinct from that, but it's still a woman getting mur murdered to change the uh, 
Oh, what episode are you on? No, I'm, I, I, I've seen the whole season. Okay. okay. It was the, uh, uh, on, on the rooftop, um, the, the woman getting murdered to change the, uh, the, the motivation of a male character. Right. And that had, like, they had just done that last episode with uh, the main character's girlfriend. Okay. Yeah. And I didn't, like, uh, I don't know. I just felt like, well, like, I was, I was thinking, what am I taking away from this? Uh, and it wasn't, I didn't really feel fulfilled, I guess, hmm. after that. I think you guys have to fight about Clip. this. <laughs> Say that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so what I liked about it, I mean, let, let me let me get on your side of the fence for a moment and say it's Fight Club turned into a TV show. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, it, it's somebody, somebody looked at Fight Club and said, hey, we can make a series out of this. Um, I like that the hero is a little bit of an anti-hero. I like that he reflects more honestly than we want to admit what we are all becoming. Mm. And I think it addresses, I like movies that attempt to jostle the sleep, the, the sheeple awake. Right. And I, I, I know most people probably just look at it as like, you know, a dark drama and walk away. And it's like, and they miss like the, the moments like, you know, towards the end when, or, you know, in the finale, when, when Slater goes off about reality or, yeah. and, and, you know, anywhere along the way, when people go off about reality, you know, whether yeah. it's a, an executive or a, I, I, I still enjoy that. I still really enjoy that because it's a lot closer to the truth than any of us wants to admit. Right. And, and so the more times people hear it, I think the more likely it is to pop someone to do something, maybe get us to, to be a little more alert, a little more aware of what our reality is. Mm. Yeah, and I really enjoy the fact that um, it's really easy when you do those sorts of rants to end up in like this old man yells, yells at cloud, technology is evil, Edison <laughs> was a witch type of territory, and they kind of didn't end up going into that as much, which like helps me enjoy those things a lot more. Right. Yeah, well, I think they address the the major issues of our time in like a three second interval. Right. Yeah. It didn't go on like very long at all. And just kind of just enough to paint a good enough picture of things that both Elliot's struggling with and what a lot of us struggle with pretty regularly. Right. And, and that's, you know, you mentioned something about the, the, the beginners, uh, the beginner's guide and that you guys had played it. Um, yes, we have. And, and, and the, the, you know, the, there is some of that in there of, of somebody trying to struggle to just figure out what's right, you know, and, yeah. and I like, you know, there was a TED talk about how good people become evil. And mm -hmm. I really enjoyed watching Angela become an employee of, of, of Evil Corp. You know, like, here was a very good person and I'm watching her fall from grace. You know, I'm watching her slowly become... And it's like, it's a classic, like, this is how good people become evil. This is how, this is how right. good people, or, or I should say, this is how good people do evil. Yeah. I mean, at first it's like a defense mechanism and you kind of just, I don't know. There's, there's also that thing where uh, that uh, CEO was talking about how, like, it was for the greater good uh, that that person had died. And just like, so weird. He comes from being like very um, genuine seeming, like a 
person who's doing bad things, but for ultimately for like some noble good. And then he just right. turns around and is like, no way, that's just really messed up too. Right. Yeah, I mean, that was a great moment. The, the, the whole thing where he sits there and tells her, I think everybody's better off because this guy's dead. And in less than five seconds, he's on a podium going, let's take a moment for our dear departed mm. you know, CTO. And it just it just shows the, and I see that right. I see and and I, I see that. Gosh, do I want to say this? Um, let let me let me say in a, as abstractly as possible. I have seen that recently in my industry. I have seen people who hated, you know, people who do hated too strong. People who spoke poorly of a man and change their tune for the purposes of the funeral, you know? And so it, it was a, it hit home because it's, it wasn't dark drama. It was reality. Right. And I think that's the same thing I felt when I watched Silicon Valley, especially season two, it was like, Oh my God, everybody thinks this is a comedy about an entrepreneurial company starting. And I was, there were some episodes that had me in, in sad tears because of how true it was, right? Just the, the troubles that they were going through. And I was like, I totally relate to this guy right now. It's like, it, it was it was amazing. So, okay, I've said too much. I'm going to stop now. <laughs> I don't know if it's too much. It's I haven't seen either of those shows, but it, like they sound interesting. We've talked about them here yeah, a couple it's, times. It's a good conversation, also, too. Yeah. Uh, I also haven't seen Fight Club, but I read the book, so I feel like I kind of know what you're you, talking you, about. You've seen the movie. Have I? The book and the movie are very close. Uh, I hear that. Don't they end wildly differently? Not significantly. Hmm. Like, le- th- there's less of a difference as between Watchmen and uh, the Watchmen movie. Okay. There, there was a lot of difference between the Watchmen and the Watchmen movie. Uh, not mechanically, I don't feel. Like it was a difference. It was it was one detail that was different, right? I mean, everything. The outcome was the same. The, I don't want to talk about. <laughs> I don't know, man. The space octopuses were like pretty vital to like getting <laughs> getting it. You know, like it was. Yep. It just. I feel like that only. The change was to evoke a different or the the same emotion from a different uh, from a broader demographic. I, I don't know. I felt like it was a stupider ending. Like it was it was exactly the same, except the 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 big the, thing at the, the end, end result. The end result was the same, but the path there was very different, and I think the path there was a dumber path. Mm. Like these, there there may be many roads. Uh, what <laughs> what what? <laughs> Hold on. How many roads must remember, a man walk down? I don't down? remember what. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't remember what Jesus said about this, but it was something about, <laughs> about his Washington? father having many. No, about like oh, it, I was it, trying to quote it, that it line. Like my father's only house one uh, pair of footprints has sand, you know? many roads. Maybe I don't remember. To Rome. Uh, I wanted. To, I was trying to make a joke about the Bible, but I. I I'm bad clearly don't know enough about the Bible to make that joke. Clearly, yeah. Um, Man, it's it's pretty yeah, great. How some often, English uh, major you are. Yeah, sorry. Pretty great how often uh, Stephen Colbert will just like pull out a, a biblical joke. Yeah, I was trying to be Stephen Colbert, and yeah. I'm not as good as him. Okay, <laughs> I'm never gonna be as good Man, as he is. He's got the double threat. He's got uh, the Bible experience, and he's like the, the 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 world's leading expert on Tolkien. How do you <laughs> yeah, top that? Man, yeah. <laughs> uh, he also really likes video games, I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's. I, I think so. He's had on. He, likes, uh, he had on the uh, No Man's Sky guy, guy and the Zelda Symphony. Symphony. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, what have I done? Yeah, what have you done? Uh, uh, I wa- I started reading The English Patient, which is a, a book about a dude in World War II who's got burns over all of his body, doesn't remember anything, and the woman who was taking care of him. And there are great. It's uh, it's apparently a movie too. Yeah. But I haven't seen the movie. That um, sounds like a romantic comedy if I've ever heard one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, right up there with Schindler's List. Uh, I don't feel like this is as depressing as Schindler's List. Maybe it's going to take a turn, but this is a post-war. So mm. uh, all of the atrocities have already happened. And now we're just dealing with the fallout. Uh, literally, they're in a bombed-out building. Yeah. Anyway, um, the the cover of the novel has a dude kissing a lady, but I don't. that hasn't happened yet. Is it Ray Fiennes? So ba- I don't know. I can't see either of their faces. Their their faces are too busy being smashed into each other for me to identify either of them. In a uh, in a hadron collider. Yeah. Yes. Yep. <laughs> anyway, uh, more it's, like a it's hard a good, on collider. Uh, am I right? Let's edit that out. Bye. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's a, it's good so far. It's very um, it's it's very much like moody. The the writing is very evocative of a certain style and place less than it's it's not like super descriptive prose it's just very i'm trying to think of a synonym for evocative but i'm not coming up with one anyway um it's good there's some there's some good lines in there um but i haven't finished it yet maybe maybe it can start sucking but it's good so far i also i was up until like three last night because i couldn't sleep and i decided hmm it is almost halloween i'll watch a scary movie that'll help me sleep so I, I watched uh, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, um, which is, I guess, like, you, have, have you guys seen Creepshow at all? That that old movie, Creepshow? Nope. No? no. Okay. I, I know it, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. Okay, so this is, it, it's similar to Creepshow in that it is a compilation movie. It's three short, scary movies, scary in quotes, scary films, uh all strung together with a paper-thin plot for why they, you are being told them. Um, so the first one was about this dude who was poor and some rich kids were mean to him, so he re- reanimated a mummy to go and murder them. And it was apparently based on a short story by Arthur Conan Doyle. But it starred um, uh, Steve Buscemi as the poor dude. <laughs> so... Uh, and, uh, and the, his, I guess his, his co-star was, um, Christian Slater. And it was funny to see that guy, uh, come right, coming right off of Heathers, because I guess the only things that I ever see him in are things where a lot of people just get gruesomely murdered. Um, the second one was about a cat that murdered a bunch of people. And then the third one was about a man that married a gargoyle. And had gargoyle babies. Um... Uh, yeah okay yep yeah uh i mean so what happened was a dude is an artist and he loses his agent and so he's getting drunk at a bar and he walks out and watches a dude get murdered by a gargoyle and the gargoyle says to him all right i'll let you live as long as you promise never to tell anybody that i exist or what you saw here or what i said to you and he goes uh i like living so it's a deal (laughs) and then he runs into a beautiful woman and they get married and have lots of children. And then 10 years later, he decides he loves her so much that he's going to tell her about the gargoyle. 
because he wants to give her everything and he's never given her the truth. <laughs> and then he tells her and she transforms back into the gargoyle and was like, it was me all along and you broke your promise. And then she murders him. <laughs> what about the children? The moral of the story, never be truthful to your spouse. <laughs> yep. Yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> also, the children that he had also turned into gargoyles <laughs> and she grabbed them and they flew through the skylight in the building and then turned to stone. Because gargoyles... I don't know. And, and then fell back to Earth? No, no. They, like, rested on top of the building oh. and turned into stone gargoyle. Oh, I don't know what the moral... Like, I don't I don't know what that moral of that... The, the moral is, is don't be truthful to your spouse. I mean, come on. Anyway. I'm picturing uh, the animated gargoyles from the cartoon. Yeah, it was very much like that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Only it was a stu- big, stupid puppet. Um, yeah, and then the wraparound story was about a witch that was eating a boy, and the witch was played by Deborah Harry, who... Most people, I guess, don't think of as an actor because she's the lead singer from Blondie. Right. But I don't know what Debbie Harry was doing in this movie, but uh, she uh, certainly read those lines. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's, that's, I guess, what I did. Oh, I also started re-watching Gilmore Girls again because I'm a terrible, terrible person. Uh, yeah. Man. Uh, every time I watch it, I learn something new. Is that so, you really enjoy Gilmore Girls? No, I already do that. But I learn something about, like, history or pop culture okay. or something. Um, I'm, I don't know. Also, it's just a thing that I can put on and listen to while I'm working on something. I don't really need to watch it. Because uh, I, I know what's going on. But it's still funny. So... That reminds me of my guilty pleasure, the first three seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Ah, man, I could I could almost follow you there, but season one is not a thing I can get behind. It just was a good beginning, I thought. Yeah, I I felt like yeah, man, I I love Buffy. I would yeah, I would come home from school and like watch Buffy as soon as I got home. But going, I have had a lot of trouble going back to the first right. season. I always yeah. like the way they they spoke. Like I always uh, like the, the, the vampires. The, no, the the way the 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 Scooby Gang spoke to each other. Like all the okay. all the in in terms, all the inside terms they had. And, oh right, right. You know, I think that there's a TV tropes page for that now. Right. Um. I think they call think it Buffy slang or something like that. Yeah, Buffy speak. A variety of speech patterns used to indicate that a te- character, while intelligent, is perhaps too young. <laughs> too inexperienced or too insufficiently educated to express the complex ideas that they possess. <laughs> uh, it's the thing where you put the thing into the other thing and it did a thing. Right. <laughs> uh, all right. Does anybody else have some, have some haps they want to talk about before we go on to the games section? I got some games to talk about. All right. I guess we'll talk about games, but you don't get to go first. Alas. Yeah. This is a reverse order. Man, reverse order is weird because the last person to go goes twice in a row, and then the first person to go doesn't Waits get a really go. long yeah. time. I mean, the way that we used to do it was just I picked somebody, and that I don't think was any better. No, you didn't pick somebody. You were like, uh, who wants to go next? Uh, uh, Paul or Gord or Paul. Can I throw or, something out yes. there? Just to mess yeah, the skull go for up? It. <laughs> yes. League of Legends or Heroes of the Storm? Oh, Heroes. Uh, Heroes of the Storm. Heroes. League of Legends. 
Yeah, Paul is our Paul is. I, I, I want I want to run in Dota too. He's our dissenting opinion. A- and why? Heroes uh, is so well designed. It's actually a game and not like a, an accident of. If you, I if think you are good the, at League of Legends, that... you can prove it. Whereas you cannot <laughs> do so in Heroes of the Storm. You, I think you can that, absolutely prove it. Justin just played. Some... I think that Heroes of the Storm is eventually going to be an interesting competitive game. It's not there yet because I think they need twice as many characters in order for the the sort of metagame to be interesting. Okay. One every two weeks. But I think that by stripping out a lot of the sort of holdover mechanics that are in League, not as a result of good game design, but as a result of its origins in Warcraft 3 modding tools, just like the ability to attack your own creeps, to deny experience... That sort of stuff. Like that that I is mean, so not a video game. game. It's that stuff so isn't even, not a video it, game. It's that's not in though, you know? Like the, that, the, there's deny, Denying isn't in League? Nope. Okay, it's definitely in Dota. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for sure, pushing the lane to, like, yeah. killing too many dudes be, because it actually ends up helping your opponent because you killed too many of their dudes. Okay. Just, like, counter counterintuitive stuff. I like that they they were willing to just throw out a bunch of stuff that I don't think actually like if somebody were building in, a Dota or a league from scratch, I don't think they would have included. It allows them to, and I also like the the fact that there are many maps and that gameplay is varied from game to game. Okay. In league, you've also got you're, you're competing against your laning partner, right? Like if that yeah, I don't kills more I don't things, like that you are worse yeah, off. I don't like that league. I like the the level the team levels versus the individual levels because I, I feel actually like really it, enjoy the just, individual levels uh, just because it, I can see an argument for both. Like I don't think that one is inherently better. When when you outplay your opponent, you get the snowball uh, that ability to outplay into a real advantage for your team. But that's just right. impossible in heroes. Right. I don't like I. I don't know. I, I think, think there are times that, when like the whole team is five levels ahead. But that's the entire like if you if you are doing super well in your lane and you're like beating up your opponent, you're you're solo killing them, you're getting all the farm. You can transfer that to an advantage in other lanes by directly affecting uh, your teammates by ganking for them or something. But in so, heroes, if you get it, ahead, it doesn't transition every, into an immediate power spike. That's because everybody's ahead and everybody's happy. It, it's also impossible to get like that level of ahead without. You, like by yourself it has to be your entire team doing something in order for that to happen so your uh, individual skill matters a lot less but like you can have vikings soaking lanes you can have abbot they're soaking lanes so and, like I think those guys cool. are just like pouring experience straight into the team and but so you know how in i think what paul is talking about is how you know how in heroes you can be three levels up and then your opponent gets a boss and just wins like you're you're there is no there's almost never a real advantage that one team has, no matter how far they appear to be ahead, right? You can have alts first. Yeah, but the yeah, thing but is, that's like, like the there's a difference between minutes. like your entire team having alts first, and then you getting your alt uh, way before the other person in your lane, because you can use that alt. Uh, but that's much still more like offensively. That's still like no. y- you only being good compared to your teammates. It's not necessarily that you're beaten, like much better than your teammates. All, all that necessarily means that I you're think that ha- the game. league system has a way wider range of play possibilities because it allows you to feed specific players or do interesting things. And by removing that choice, because everybody's the same level, maybe you've lost something. But I don't know. My philosophy is that Heroes is a fun game now that might be a great game down the line. Mm. 
League is a game that I just do not, I, I don't ever think I'm going to enjoy that game. It has too many design decisions that just rub me the wrong way. And like, I don't know if they're the wrong decisions. Cle- clearly they're not, right? Because they're making billions and billions of dollars and everybody loves League of Legends. So people can be but, really good at it. But at that point, is the game fun? Ed, why did you inflict this on us? <laughs> Um, so, so innocently, because uh, as I look at both of those games, I've decided that I only have room in my life for one, and and I'm not I'm not sure I'm I'm genuinely not sure which one. I I will tell let let me let me say a few things about each, and then I'll and then I'll back away. So mm-hmm. I am I am deeply driven by aesthetic, and I I personally believe that Heroes looks better, but. I, I I feel like if I'm playing these games, I should be playing to skill up somehow. And I do, me personally, I feel like League lets me feel like a hero more often than heroes. I feel like in heroes, I'm pushing a bunch of win levers on the board. And by pulling the win levers on the board, that's how I win. Whereas... It, in league, I feel like if I if if I'm crap in a lane, or if I'm crap against other heroes, I'm going to be crap in this game. And, uh. and I also like in league, the um, the what I'll call the after game. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like there's any after game in heroes. I feel like the game's over. There's nothing to think about. Dive into a new game. Whereas in league. It's do I got my masteries right? Do I got my runes right? Mm. You know, the the choices are there's more gravitas to some choices that happen outside other than just which hero am I using? Right? And I I definitely think that you're you're right in that League has a way higher cap for skillful play and personal choice and decisions. I'm not sure that like for me I I don't think that that makes it a better game necessarily. Okay. Because there are other things about League that really like that stuff is cool. I would pro like. I don't know if I would put that stuff in Heroes just because that's not the sort of game that Heroes wants to be. I don't want to make Heroes into something it's not. But I like that stuff existing. Sure. Uh, but there are other design decisions in the actual play. Like all that stuff is in the setup of the game and not in the play of the game, mm. right? Yeah. But don't so, you think that a game needs some of that? I mean, I've always believed that like the best games stimulate both sides of your brain and. So yeah. I think that you get that in Heroes when you're playing in a ranked mode where there are draft, where right. you're drafting I, I, against I think, another team. I'm, I'm not draft even sure. Really like I don't think Hero fine. League is that compelling to me. I think no, uh, I team think Team League, League is, is really yeah. good. Team League is where yeah. Because I, I think like the one thing that uh, Heroes does more often than League is if you are in a position where you are able to make decisions are uh, like affect your teammates, uh, the reward just feels so much better um, because it doesn't matters much how you do at any given point in a game of heroes if you have really good shot calling and your team works really well together you can pretty much pull a victory out of anything right so in response to what you said about not feeling like a hero as often in heroes um i like i have had some of the best experiences i don't know who you like to play as in heroes um but some of the like the biggest feeling like a hero moments I've had is actually playing as the healer. Okay. Um, especially like I just started picking up Uther recently, like this past he week. Oh, yeah. And I I've been playing a lot of Uther in like when I 
I, I wouldn't say I've been playing a lot of Heroes of the Storm, but when I play Heroes of the Storm, I've been playing a lot of Uther. And Uther, the way that you build him right now, he ends up with a Q, a W, an E, and an R, like everybody, but also a 1, 2, a 3, a 4, and a 5 by the time he's level 20. So you have nine buttons, which is insane in Heroes. That's That's so much bandwidth that you have to have That's six more but, than uh, rainer has <laughs> right yeah exactly exactly but like it's true right rainer's the starter hero and having that huge toolkit and executing on it to save a, an entire team that is losing or pull somebody out bec- or use his multiple extraction tools or shields or whatever has been some of the most satisfying experiences that i've had in heroes uh and i like he's the all of the times I've found a healer in that game that I've enjoyed playing, they've been nerfed and I haven't liked them, but I feel like Uther is now the healer that I enjoy playing. I feel like okay. a, a comparable experience is Abathur, uh, uh, knowing where to be, uh, having the, the superior map awareness, and uh, jumping onto a hero who has maybe dived further yeah. in. I do like I do like heroes' willingness to just make ridiculous heroes that don't fit in another type of game, like Abathur or... Abathur. Lost Vikings, <laughs> Lost Vikings, I guess. Rex are um, to a degree. I mean, Lost Vikings yeah. sort of exists in Dota. Yeah, Lost Vikings is kind of like, what is it, Meepo in, yeah. in Dota, but it's not quite the same. Yeah, Meepo is way stronger. Yeah, he is. Uh, well, like, he's he's stronger if he were to be in Heroes, but like, I don't know if the, if that's comparable. Yeah, that's fair. Like, the soak on Lost Vikings is why he's strong, and you don't use Meepo for the soak, right? There's, you use him for the there's stuns. an Abathur analog, or I guess the, the opposite of analog in... Uh, uh, there's an Abathur precursor in uh, one of those games. Io, I think? He can oh, teleport yeah. to a hero and then buff them and then teleport to a different hero and stuff. Not quite the same. But, I yeah. mean, but the, the core idea is that Io isn't, like, super good on his own. You need to be right. next to a teammate to do well. I really like team play. Like, I, I don't think I've ever solo queued more than once. So, some and I, something that I feel, and I think that this is a direct result of the Blizzard game having characters that with which I'm already familiar, and League of Legends just being characters that they made up, right? right. Uh, it, I was actually, this is this is something I told Dustin Browder when I was talking to him. Uh, Name uh, dropping. Oh, man. Look, look <laughs> at this fancy sorry. person over here. Oh, okay, sorry, sorry. But no, this is this is the the one piece of feedback that I gave him right when when I was talking to him about this was that, especially with more recent heroes, they have really nailed the fantasy of being that hero. Ooh, the butcher! Like when I like when I was playing as the butcher, especially when he was new and no one knew how to stop him, uh, playing as the butcher just felt like play- being the butcher from Diablo, and you'd point at somebody. And they would just fall over, and you would yell, fresh meat. And you would run them down. Oh, right, yeah. and you, you just chase anybody. They, they'd try to get away, and they'd just not be able to move. And, it's terrifying. Uh, it was, yeah, yeah it, and now everybody understands how the Butcher works, and it's much easier to play against him. But especially for that opening couple of weeks, like the, the butch, it, they, just, they just nailed it so hard. Uh, and I don't get that when I play league because like who who is this guy oh i guess i'm a frog in a top hat maybe oh man frog in what, top what hat is that is awesome i i'm like sure but the, and playing as him might be awesome but there's not that additional layer of 
the fantasy of being a character that you are already emotionally invested in from other things. And, it's, I mean, it's the reason the Super Smash Brothers is popular, okay. right? But just, just to give heroes their due for a minute, I mean, I think you're, you're right that you do recognize these things from, other, from their world, but, but you got to give them their props. Despite that, I think the translations that they have made are very good, right? They're, they're, yeah, they, they, they have really... There's something more to it than just, oh, I know who that guy is. Right. Well, I mean, that's the number one complaint about Diablo, I think, is that people feel like Diab playing as Diablo doesn't make you feel like you're Diablo. Like, why right. does Diablo do these things? Right. And I think it's like a perpetual complaint about that one guy that they can't seem to fix. Mm. In but, the, uh, okay, in so, so give me, give me, give me a, a tactical understanding, because I really do want to make this decision, and I know you, you can probably just edit all this out, you know, if you want no, it's fine. Our fans love it when we talk about Blizzard games for <laughs> seventeen hours. So, so I play. I, I I play two two ends of the spectrum. Of course, I have Rainer because you know everybody did. He's really strong. And, and, and you said Rainer has only a few buttons. So walk me through that. And I also okay, play so, Lily, and I agree with you that some of my biggest hero moments come as the healer. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering why that is. Okay, so Raynor has, um, on his Q, he's just got that, like, shotgun that knocks everything back. Right. Penetrating blast. His, his W is increase the attack speed of everything around him. And himself. Like, and himself, right. As much. And his E is not actually a button you press. It's just his heal when he gets passive. low. Yep. So he, instead of having the, and then his ult is on four. So instead of having four buttons like a normal hero, he only has three. Right. Um, and you, he, you can make your E into a button that you press with a talent, but that is a choice that you make. Right. Does it still trigger? Not something. Uh, it does still trigger if it's available and you get low, right. but you can choose to trigger it early. And when it triggers, you get a damage reduction when you talent into that. Like you, you take less damage. So you can make Raynor have more buttons if you're at the level where you have a good enough understanding uh, of him. There's also the gameplay. Bribe, or uh, Rainer's contract, or whatever. Right, you can you can talent into a, a, a one, I guess, and maybe a two, I don't know. Yeah. But as it, as like, as like heroes go, Rainer is a very beginner-friendly hero, just because he has fewer buttons that he needs to be aware of what he's doing, and he's got that, like, the heal is a really good get-out-of-jail-free card for a new player. Are, uh, just, you just click it once and you can forget about it, it just passively does its work. Yep. Uh, although you can, like, the the Banshees do allow for higher level play because you can retarget them. Right. And I like, um, but I, I, mean, I think both are equally good depending on what map you're on. Yeah. Um, Lily is the newbie healer, right? Because she doesn't have to aim any of her heals. They just go to whoever is lowest. Right. Um, yeah. She's also, her passive is like one of... It is one of the best passives in the game because it just lets her run away, and she shrugs off crowd control, <laughs> and you can't catch her. I've seen some fantastic chases. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really frustrating to play against her because she's very hard to pin down. Um, a, a skillful Lily can actually choose which character is going to get healed by their own positioning, so they can position themselves so that certain heroes are only are going to be the ones in range of their heals. But I don't think most people do that. Uh, the game does cost and low. Uh, yeah, the, he, the, the game does tell you ahead of time which is the hero that's going to get healed if you're looking. Um, you but it, it puts a little like a little. No, it puts a little a leaf, uh, leaf, a leaf next to their oh. name if they're the one that's going to get healed. So your question was why? Why is it 
that the healer is the most heroic, like feels the most heroic. Is that what you're? Well, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to hear. So, so there's a follow on question, which I haven't gotten to, which is like, how did you okay. guys get to know so much about every one of these heroes? How did you have <laughs> the time? Like, um, that's so crazy, but answer the first one. Like, why do you think the, the heels, why do you think the healers are the most heroic or feel, make you feel that way? Cause I felt that same way. I think it's because you're the one who's standing between success. I mean, the same reason that the healers are the ones in WoW that right. are really the heroes of the raid, right? Like, you get to save everybody when somebody else screws up. Yeah. It's also easy to see, like, if you're in a, like, a big five-on-five -five team fight, all you're doing for the most part is just, like, looking at people's health bars, making sure that yours don't go down. And every time that you see that your team's health bars are not going down, but the enemy teams are, like, you, that's, like, very visible and you get to see that in action right as it's happening whereas if you're playing some like Zeratul Nova you have a very important job which is just blowing someone up but that doesn't necessarily translate directly into b winning these big flash engagements okay so yeah also like being a good healer isn't just about making sure those bars don't move or like are moving to the right and not moving to the left it's also making sure that they don't start moving to the left in the first place, which is why I like Uther a lot, because he's got shields, which I think that shields are more interesting than heals, yeah. because the uh, I, I think they're just a more interesting gameplay uh, than, a, than a heal. League of Legends stopped putting a lot of heals onto their characters because they thought that it wasn't very good for a new player experience. Um, mm -hmm. When like you're a person, you do a whole bunch of damage, the healer says, you did nothing. What you did was completely invalidated. But shields give you opportunity of counterplay because you can see the shield is on, not attack, and wait for the shield to expire. And then And also the other side is that shields let you heal a character more than their actual health right. is. So Uther but Uther also has like a cleanse. He also has uh, a shrink ray to prevent damage. <clears throat> he, he, one of his alts just puts a shield on the entire team. Like he just feels like he has a lot of tools and that no matter what crappy situation oh and he's got the the maybe the best ult in the game which is just an invincibility on one character for a couple seconds it just removes interaction which is so powerful okay. uh, so uh, the reason he is satisfying to play for me is because because i can uh, play i mean there are lots of people who play uther lots of ways but by having all of those different tools i feel like i am prepared for when my teammates inevitably screw up <laughs> and i have to pull them out of the fire because, I don't know, the guy who was playing Kael'thas decided to dive way too deep and is about to get blown up or something. I feel, like playing, the... a... I, uh, I feel like playing as a support is also the clearest, best way to be contributing to your team. I mean, like, success pushing the other team back is is a thing, but, like, success at keeping your team healthy uh, while they push is also... Uh, right. It's like so a, a team a, without a healer. A more direct a team. way to channel your energies into... Right. Like, You're useful at like, all points of the game. Like, you, you, like, no matter what's happening, like you always have something to do. Mm. Right. Anyway, what was, your, what was your thing? No, I, I was also going to add, I think also it helps if when you're a healer, you're clearly not the guy who's going to take out an enemy or a hero. Right. So suddenly, you, you know, one one aspect of the game has gone gray, which allows right. you to kind of focus on the other aspects of the game a little more. And and you know the response to 
enemies, you know, hero, enemy heroes attacking me, it's, it's run, it's get out of there, it's do whatever I need to do to not die. Right, and that's, that's also something that, like, makes Uther interesting for me, is because he's a melee healer, so he has to be in there. Right. So, um, so my, my, yeah, my question is, like, I mean, how do you guys do it? Every time I come on the show, and I, I'll be it, it, this is only the second time. Right. I, you know, last time it was a, a deep dive into Hearthstone. This time it's a deep dive into League and Heroes ending up at Heroes. But, like, you clearly have spent a ton of time on each of these games, if not a ton of money. And, like, mm-hmm. I, I don't have the time to do that. How do you do it? I mean, maybe maybe the audience wants to hear how you manage your time to get that much game time in and, and be so knowledgeable. So Gord is definitely the one who plays more of this game than probably Paul or I put together. That feels I weird, play League of because I'm definitely not the better player. Yeah. Um, part of it, like, for this game, and <laughs> for Hearthstone just, too, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, if you want to, like, I'm, I'm not going to dispute. I don't know how you and Paul compare, but I know, like, I don't know. I, I don't know. You do spend a lot of time playing Abathur, which I think, like, means that you're playing other generally more useful heroes less often. So you're just not as good with them, but you're really good with Abathur. Mm. Um, anyway. Um, but, like, part of it is just having had access for forever. So I, like, I know I have been in the, had access to both Hearthstone and Heroes of the Storm since Alpha, when there just wasn't that much content, so you could learn it all, and it's a lot easier to just stay on top of stuff as it comes out, whereas if you're coming into Heroes now, there are twice or maybe three times as many Heroes as right. there were when I started. So you had, learning all of them at once is way harder than learning ten of them. Mm. It's just like learning hearts, all the hearts. Like I've, If I were to start playing Hearthstone now, I would be overwhelmed by the number of cards there are. Oh, yeah. But the fact that I started when there were 150 cards means that it's just a lot easier to stay on top of it. But that's still like, I don't a lot of those games, games to stay on every... top of, though, isn't it? Um, I just, like, I go to the, like, subreddit and read the headlines once, like, every other day or so, and that's, I feel like that's enough. Oh, well, see, that's a great tip. Like, I, I'm not doing that. I, I should do that. There's actually, I don't actually read this, go to the subreddit. Like, the, I, I think that's what Gore does. Uh, there's, do you know the, like, the, the internet company curse yes okay so they they have a website for for every single blizzard game and i just read the curse websites it's like mmo champion and hearth pwn and over overwatch master or whatever they're they're all called diablo fans but they're all they're all in the same network and if you read a news post on one it also, at the very top, it links to what the most recent news posts on all of the others oh, are, nice. so you can just see if there's something to read. And like, I usually will go to the WoW one because it's got coverage of other games as well. And I will see, oh, there's something new in Diablo, or there's something new in Hearthstone, and then I'll click that link and read it. Okay. But yeah, I, I, I feel like I know a lot more. This is not just about this, but like I personally, I don't know if this is the same for Paul and Gord. You guys can weigh in as well. I feel like I read a lot more about games than I play games. Uh, and part of that is because it is like a lot of my job is to read about games. So yeah, I, it's I, important I think that's to be on top of that. Yeah, like just in general, just because of my circle of friends, we just end up linking to each other a lot of stuff that is about games or if something happens in Hearthstone or League, we just kind of tell Yeah, somebody will end up 
telling me about it if I don't read about it somewhere. For me, just the uh, the play experience uh, is is best encouraged by the uh, the daily quests and the hero rotation. So, uh, it, it's just felt consistently rewarding to to log in every every day or every other day to uh, see what quests I have, and then use those quests to say, oh, uh, this game I'm going to try out this hero who I haven't gotten to level five yet, and then that's just. Uh, three or four games as uh, yeah. getting to know that hero and then uh, just... I'm not sure if Justin and I even have that capability anymore. Like, do you, do you have any uh, heroes I, not level five? I okay. do, yeah. I think I've got, like... Yeah, like I said, but Gord, like, Gord, listen, I'll play maybe, like, one game every day or two with Gord, maybe two or three if it's a weekend. Right. Gord will play, like, five games a night, right? <laughs> that seems that seems. I'll accurate. play when there's, like, a whole group of people because I really enjoy the team. Right team play of heroes but like oftentimes what that means is i'll hear something about the game from gore yeah so like i'll i've got two gaming groups for heroes and they're each in a different time zone and both of those time zones are a different time zone from me <laughs> so i might be playing at some uh, some odd hours and also like you know one of you guys will will quit for the night and then my friend from the other time zone will log in and say hey you want to play some heroes <laughs> Or I see that you're playing heroes. Uh, do you? Ha- I see. It looks like you're trying to play heroes. <laughs> yeah, but it's definitely like if if none of my friends played this game, I would probably play a lot less. I don't know. Does that answer your question? The answer is we don't have time to play. We just pretend to. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah we, I mean, that's we, that's we play vicariously through Gord for the most part. It it helps inform the the part that you said at the end with friends. I think I think that's that's actually a great segue into like my tabletop stuff, but I'll, I'll hold on that. Mm. Um, but I think that's yeah. part of what I, what I've been having a tr- trouble with on the dead end of games. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, in, in hearth, there's no reason, there's no reason to play with friends. And so like I, I end up, you know, finding um, no reason to like, I, I feel isolated when I'm playing, mm-hmm. even though my friends right. are there on the friends list. Right. And, right. and um, I don't have Heroes of the Storm friends, but I do have a ton of... Now you do. Yeah, <laughs> and I do have a ton of tabletop friends, and that's been pulling right. me out of the digital world. But uh, but yeah. it's interesting. I I very much wish I had friends uh, here in L.A. that I could play, like, D&D with. I miss that. Um, but uh, I, don't, I don't know enough people here yet. I, I'm too new. Right. For, uh, for Hearthstone, my favorite experiences in Hearthstone was when one person would uh, fire up a draft and then uh, screen share it on Skype and then the rest of us would like comment on pics and uh, uh, I don't know, look up lists yeah, and stuff. Yeah, that was, that was something that we did a lot when it was new. We would, we would do uh, like co-op arenas. Yeah, and that was fun. Yeah, Team, team Arena is pretty good. So I guess yeah, yeah. once again oh, you, you, you're, you're saying something very important. You're saying the, the power of, of friendship, the power of <laughs> friendship is magic. You know, I, I used to call it I used to call it geek beer. You know, I used to say it's like right. it's the thing we use to to create communicational excuses, right? The, the thing we use mm-hmm. to 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 create pathways for us to see each other. Yes. All right, I've beaten this dead horse. I'll, I'll stop. <laughs> All right. I guess I guess I'll go into what I've played this week. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so actually, I do want to 
mention two things that I played, I guess, last week, but I didn't talk about because I forgot. Uh, the first one is Master Swords, which is uh, a game that is identical, basically, in the way it plays to Word Realms, uh, a, another game, but is a lot what better. An interesting it, coincidence. It... Ha. Huh. I don't know what you mean by this that. This is just Word Realms, right? It is literally Word Realms. Yeah, I mean, it is the same underlying code base made by the same yeah. people with different graphics and a different, like, progression. Uh, turns out, if you make a game and then somebody pays you to make it again, <laughs> you'll probably make it better the second time. Reminds me of a quote that uh, isn't family-friendly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, this, uh, this is on iPad, and I don't think it's out yet, but it might be on the App Store. It was created, I think, as part of a contract gig for the, like, Arizona public school system. It's about, and they teach ch kids how to spell. I, I don't know. I played, like, ten minutes of this. The The other game that I played last week that I uh, want to briefly mention is called West of Loathing. And it is the, I guess not a sequel, but it is a, it is a, a companion game to the game Kingdom of Loathing. Made by uh, podcast guest Zach Johnson. Um, and it is a side-scrolling western RPG where you can play as a cowboy and, uh, uh, I don't know, rustle some bandits. There, there are some tumbleweeds. <laughs> Probably uh, a lot of jokes. It was, it was very, very early alpha, so a lot of stuff wasn't working. But uh, it looked promising, so I'm going to continue to follow it. Um, so the other, the other games I actually played. So I played a little more of Persona 4 Golden. Uh, it continues to be a, a dating sim slash JRPG, I guess. It's a weird, weird mashup. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's a weird dating genre mashup. You sometimes have to play school. Yeah, uh, I really enjoy the role playing elements and the the like combat elements. Whatever, I, there aren't very many of them yet. Um, but the just the fact that there are a million things that you can do every day, and you can only pick two or three of them, and if you pick the wrong ones, then maybe in a month somebody you like will die. Is a uh, some some real pressure uh man do i like hang out with this person or do i go study if i study i won't maybe i won't fail school but if i don't hang out then this person won't exist anymore so it's it's an, it, like i i'm gonna i'm gonna keep going i'll finish this game someday uh i also played a little bit of the chibi robo game that just came out ziplash and it is a platformer. It's so if you played Bionic Commando, it's very much a Bionic Commando. You play as Chibi Robo and you s grapple onto stuff with his tail that is, I guess, a like a plug, and it is very, very adorable and charming. It's not very hard. I don't have a lot to say about the gameplay because it is just sort of like bog standard platforming, but it is a Nintendo game, so it's got that level of polish and it is really cute. I'm really surprised that Nintendo uh, is making a game about butt plugging. Uh -huh. <laughs> sure. Yep. Uh huh. Good. Yep. We're already that explicit tag this week. <laughs> um, I played a bunch of games of a game on my phone called Domino Drop. Uh, because something about Zach and Tom Francis and Dog Lord Four Twenty. Uh, I, I thought I could beat their high scores, but I couldn't. <laughs> Turns out that they were really good at this game, but uh. It's a game, it's just, it's sort of like a, a puzzle, it's a puzzle game on the phone where you drop dominoes and you're trying to match up matching sides like in a game of dominoes, but uh, there are some twists that make it difficult. Uh, and then I played more Dark Souls 2. 
uh, Paul listened to me play Dark Souls 2 for a while. Uh, Man, what, and a bunch you, of what, what happens? Like, how do you? You're, you're a person who doesn't swear. What do you say when terrible things happen and you're set back like three uh, hours? I don't know. Oh, Paul, 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 what? That never <laughs> no, it didn't happen. You, for the most part, we're just like go, looking at things like, "Man, I hate all these notes that people are leaving, but I can't turn them off because maybe they'll be really funny." Yeah. Or like, um, all right. I mean, I, I when I was doing, uh, Mark, Mark was also on this call, and I was just sort of just like describing each room as I went to it. So I was like, okay, so I'm in a room with like eleven incredibly fat men who are on their stomachs and they don't have any legs, and they're all sit- standing around this pillar of fire that I can grab, and they don't seem to notice me, but I know as soon as I take that pillar of fire, they're all going to turn on me and kill me. I wonder if I can just kill them off one by one. And I'll just grab the pillar. And then as soon as I grab the pillar, they all exploded. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I, I guess. I, that's not what I thought would happen. Um, but yeah, I never, I never like have the thing where I get sent back three hours. Mm. Like, that just doesn't happen. I don't know. Maybe that happens to other so people who play this you've game. You've already gotten good, is what you're saying. I mean, I've beaten two Dark Souls games already. I, I, this is just DLC that I'm going through. And so, like, it is frustrating. Some so, like I don't, this this DLC that I'm going through is, I'm not having a lot of fun with it. <laughs> I want to like I want to get through it to get to the next one. And me like I know a lot of people say that this is their favorite part of the game, but maybe I just haven't gotten there yet. So it's it's an experience that I can't get from any other video game, and it is so well done. Have you played any of the uh, that The Witcher games? I have. I played the first one. I own the second one, but I don't want to start it until I finish the first one because that is a it's like a Dragon Age where your save transfers directly from the first one to the second one, your storage decisions and I'm stuff. Not sure about the first one, but The Witcher 2 reminded me of uh, the Demon Souls play experience. Except that you could just Witcher... like load your save. <sighs> the Witcher one is really really bad. bad. <laughs> yeah. It's really, really frustrating to play. I spent so many hours many years ago playing that game just in the first town because I had got, like, to progress the story, I had gotten a quest that was, like, acquire six skins from the Aquamen who live down at the lake and they only spawn at night. So I just had to stand around waiting for it to be night Mm. and then I had to kill something like a hundred of those dudes before they dropped enough skins for me to turn it back in. And they were all really tough. And it was just, it was such a negative play experience. And then I finally completed that quest and it gave me a trading card of a naked woman. <laughs> what you need is for something to uh, to be narrating and to drop in a lamppost for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I, there is a good game somewhere in there. And I think maybe it's called The Witcher 2. You just need to, like, hack it and Because uh, I've heard a lot of people, it, right? Yeah, I hear that a lot of people really like The Witcher 2. I've heard that but, uh, it's also... I mean, as good as Witcher 2 was, uh, it's hard to go back to Witcher 2 from Witcher 3. because it's... I haven't played Witcher 3 at all. I've heard a lot of criticisms of Witcher 3, though. Mm. Not as many criticisms of um, criticisms as I've heard of like Metal Gear Solid 5. No, it's because but... she has to breathe through her skin. <laughs> there, there, there's this YouTube video I saw uh, where they replaced every instance of quiet in the game with Revolver Ocelot instead. And there's just him just, like, in the helicopter, like, pointing his butt at you, shimming around. He's like, yep, this seems appropriate. Yep. All right. 
Ed, what have you been playing? You've been playing D&D, you said, right? I, I have. I, I recently uh, switched, well, recently, I, in the last three months, I switched from Pathfinder to D&D 5e. Mm. And okay. Fifth edition. Is that, that's D&D Next, right? Is that the same thing? Yeah, yeah. Next is D&D, okay. D&D Next, D&D 5th edition. Okay. Uh, I don't know what they name these things, so. Yeah, and um, and I'm I'm liking it for many reasons, but I don't want to... I don't want to preempt the digital side before we dive into the. Oh, there is oh. we we mix and match. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Okay. You can dive straight into to D and D if you want. So so I I've been taking uh, a little more time for family these this year, and I've been trying to. Uh, I've noticed that I I was my gaming habits were very solitary. And I started playing games that were either multiplayer with people I knew or as I, I returned to my roots and started playing more, more tabletop. Um, and, you know, D&D 5e, when it, I, I'll admit, when it first came out, I was so skeptical. You know, like everybody else, it's like, oh, wow, yet another reboot. You know, I loved 4e so much. Uh, not and and you know was was still playing Pathfinder because of my 3.5 collection, and then, you know, I I have it was such a clever rebranding of 4E that I liked it. I mean, there's so much for fourth edition in it, and yet the way they redrafted it and re kind of positioned it, it, it really is good, and I think. Part of what didn't help at all was, um, was we had gotten to a point in Pathfinder where there were so many add-ons, so many expansions, so many possible rules for any any given character that we were like a comic book. You know, we, we could only have one battle per session, mm-hmm. right? And 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 that battle took. You know, we have four-hour sessions every other week, and that battle would be two hours of the of the of the game. And so it was just really boggy combat because there's so much tactics and there's so many possibilities and things you can do. And D&D just kind of stripped that all away. Like it, it was suddenly, you know, there was, a, there was this fast, nimble play experience where we were getting through large bodies of content in the four hours that we were playing. And that felt so gratifying. You know, it felt like... Mm. Sorry, go ahead. This sounds a lot like League of Legends to Heroes of the Storm. <laughs> <laughs> I did like I did like in fourth edition how they they sort of simplified everything into a, a video game button so that everyone's got their actions, but they can just like uh, I'd say, "Oh, I'm I'm using my my at will, or I'm using my uh, my uh, encounter ability, my once per encounter," and that just covered like spells or barbarian rage or uh, hitting some extra hard with a sword right and i think that's what a lot of people didn't like mm. you know that's what i didn't like yeah i think i think a lot of a lot of gronards or, or a lot of people who had played D before they immediately saw that and were like all the same you know and and, and in these games you know one of the the core dynamics i believe is that everybody wants to be a different hero from the guy he's rubbing shoulders with mm. right yeah it, it it was true that a fighter was just a wizard with fists, fist spells, and a wizard right. is just a fighter with 
fireball fists. <laughs> yeah, and and you know what? I'll, I'll I'll even freely admit that there is some of that in fifth edition, but the way they mask it, so mm. that you're not you're not calling them the same terms, you're not seeing it the same way, is just better. So there is. If you, I mean, are you playing fifth? Yeah. Okay. So, so you know what I'm talking about. I mean, what yeah. you liked about fourth is still there, just presented in a way that, you know, it's short rests and long rests instead of, you know, at will versus event versus per day or, mm. and, but there's, a, I believe there's enough uniqueness where the rogue really feels like he's contributing on a very, very different level than Druid, who feels like they're contributing on a very different level than the fighter. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and and but so that's part of it. But I think that the more important part of it is the camaraderie, right? I've really started to be drawn to experiences that bring me to a a table with people, right? The the you know I've started playing. I'm also live. I also live in LA and you know, playing at game house or, you know, going and hanging out at, at a, at a local hobby store. I've been doing that more often. And, and that's, that's been really fun. Like, like hanging out and really being able to like talk, like being across the way from someone. And it's also been very frustrating, which, which is for me, the prime indicator that I have to do it more. Right. It's been a, it's been a, a, a real revival of, yeah, you know what, Ed? Not everybody is going to, you and, and not everybody are going to get along. And actually learning how to make that work is really important. Mm. You know, so there's been this whole social growth component that I've, re that I've really enjoyed as well. And I'm thinking about branching out into like, I want to try War Machine next and, you know, some other stuff that I haven't had a chance to, to play in a while. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in deep. I have a, you know, I, I, I'm I'm not DMing. I'm I'm playing, which is odd for me because I usually DM. <laughs> and um, I have a guy who uh, I, I'm running a bard with an ocarina as his, as his uh, nice. instrument. And <laughs> bard is best class. I, I think bard is is pretty cool. I'm really enjoying it, and I'm kind of I'm I'm enjoying the fact that I I get to be the 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 party talker, but at the same time, I get to really help them in a very tangible way with bardic inspiration. And, and then I've, I've yeah. bought some ocarina music that, that I, I play it at, at, you know, during downtimes. And ah. so, so it's been, it's been kind of a, a really fun revival for me and, and a stripping away of the mechanics. I was really, really, I had gotten to the point with Pathfinder where I was such an accountant, you know, I could min max any character class and just be doing tons of damage out of the gate. And that's the one concern I have with 5.0. I think I'm nervous about how it ramps up because it looks like the monsters ramp much more quickly than the players do. And I'm already starting to feel that a little. We're, four, we're all fourth level, and I'm already starting to feel like the, the pre-gen adventures that my DM is running... Um, really requires some hyper clever thinking to get through. You can't just walk wade in with a sword and, and hope to win because the numbers just don't stack in your favor. 
Yeah, those those first two fights in uh, the Lost Mines of Fendelver are really tough. See, you I just... haven't played that one, mm. but um, he's taking us through uh, the Tyranny of Dragons stuff. Mm. And man, it's it's like you said, it's really, t it's like the first thing we're doing is protecting a town from being raided, and it's like several encounters back to back with you know we're running out of spells we're running out of all of our healing and here's another five kobolds with pack tactics <laughs> and you know and, and it, it just yeah i mean i I'm, I'm really surprised that we didn't tpk we've already lost a couple of characters and yeah. and had to re-roll i mean so yeah, when you re-roll are you starting them at one um no we are more forgiving well in the in the beginning we lost a character in the second session and we all were first level so that guy did start as one, but from from henceforth, they start at the same level as as the rest of the party. Oh, that's that's very very kind of you, DM. <laughs> yes. No, it, it sucks any other way. Why you you? It's a double gimp, right? It, that's just a classic design error, I think. Is is to you've killed his character, which if he is a decent, if he is beyond a decent player, that is going to really hurt because he's put a lot of story, he's put a lot of effort, personality, right. backstory, gear the work of creating the character sheet, etc. He's already been he's already been hurt. And then to say, well, and you're gimped on your new character. That that's a that's a double hate. So I, we yeah, I mean I know people who do that. Hurts I, the team I know. Too. Yeah. What? Hurts the team too. Yeah, it hurts everybody. I mean, and and I just that's I've never understood that. We we you know, even in a video game, I don't understand why people do that. It was like isn't the pain of having to do over, isn't the pain of having to tear up a sheet enough? Right? It's like, why do you have to? I guess, I guess if you're just min-maxing, then it, it's not actually a penalty or if you die, right? Because you just re-roll a character that's identical or close to it. Yeah. I mean, if somebody, <laughs> if somebody is, is at that level where it, they don't even, where, I, I've always believed that there are two kinds of players. There's the kind of player who, who doesn't care what his character character is or looks like he just cares about um, maximizing the math and that guy is never going to be hurt by a death he's just not going to care his the clone of that character will appear the following day but then they're they're character they're guys like me who have tons of deleted characters in wow because the the gear at that level sucked and i couldn't make the the, the character look cool right and <laughs> and, and so you know, every time my character started looking like a clown at, at a level, it's like I would lose interest in that character. Until I realized that gear at early stages didn't matter. Um, yep. You know, especially now. WoW was harder once, but now... <laughs> uh, but, uh, it still is. It still is hard. It's just a lot harder to get to that, to that point. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I know I'm going on and on and on and on. I, I should probably wrap this up to say... I'm finding a, a a pleasure of sitting around a table with seven guys drinking beer and and playing D and D that that um, that I had a little bit of when I was playing Pathfinder, but have a lot more of now. Mm. Gord, do you have additional thoughts about? 5.0 from your play session? Uh, yes, we uh, we spent six and a half hours yesterday uh, making characters. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we we did take a break for uh to, to go for curry. But uh nice. uh we're uh it's exciting next time. 
the next time we're going to get to meet is in three weeks. <laughs> and uh, we're okay. going to be able to start playing. I'm surprised <laughs> it took you that long. Yeah, what, it was... What so long in the character? Did you have a lot of first-time players, yeah, right? Uh, uh, there was one first-time player, and then there was one... Uh, two first-time players, but one of them had played other games uh, before. Who's who's playing in this? Uh, this is M Maggie and Andrew and Morgan and Luca. Okay, I know one of those people. Yep. Probably the same person I know. Okay. Yep. I think is it Gord's wife? Because yep. that was the one that <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, Maggie is the, the the player with the most experience, so she was done in like an hour or two. Right. And also, she didn't have to yeah. to read through fifty spells for her That's character. Fair. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and the rest of it was just um, going around, um, finding out what yeah. people had still to fill out on their character sheets, and then, and then they would go through like you know backgrounds, reading backgrounds and uh, right. origins for another hour. And so a half. you named all those you named all those people, and in my head I conflated Morgan and Luca to Morgana, and I was thinking <laughs> that your friends have really cool names. I mean, they do, uh, but I don't think. <laughs> Uh, all right. Um, there, there is an interesting meta journey that I'm taking to on this, which is, you know, I got into D&D &D 5e right at the beginning, and it, it's been interesting to watch, like, you know, Pathfinder became, Pathfinder was built on 3.5, and it has done a really great job of bringing tons of paperweight to, to the game, but that paperweight, you know, looks like, there creates new rules, creates new features, and it, it, it's been interesting to watch the difference between a video game and a paper game growth where, you know, when D&D first came out, they were saying, well, we're just going to do these basic books, right? And they really have so far only done those basic books, but now they're starting to do modules or adventures. And each one of these adventures has a few extra rules in the back, right? And a few extra spells in the back and a few extra monsters, but also a few extra skills, or, or new race that you can play. And it's it's interesting for me to see the difference between digital and analog. Because in a digital experience, when you add something new, like like you know, a new set of cards in Hearthstone, or even, you know, some some feature changes or, or number changes in Hearthstone, you will feel almost immediately two things. One, the 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 impact it has on the players. But two, the, the complete assimilation of the new data set right away because it's exposed and there for the players. And it's been an interesting re like reminder of how slow paper games can be on that front. You know, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. adoption rates of new rules and, and, and the fact that, you know, they're all over the place, right? So now because they don't have a wiki yet that, that, is, that is unifying them, that not, at least that I don't, don't know. So you got like, like, well, this guy wants to play a deep gnome, but deep gnomes aren't in the player's handbook. They're in what book? Oh, I don't have the Temple of Elements, or I don't have the Elemental Evil book. How can I run that? No, I guess I'm not, like, do you see what I'm saying? There's like this great... Yeah. I miss the uh, Dungeons & Dragons Insider, because that had... That was just a digital unified rules list that was like uh, searchable and stuff. That was in right. fourth edition. And I don't think that they've, I don't know, I haven't seen anything on it lately. They, they haven't. And, and it's interesting because 
it's like the world, right? Data is imperfect and, and all that stuff. And, and you can choose more easily to not incorporate new rules if you wish. Mm. But I'm, I'm watching as, you know, this Unearthed Arcana articles after articles come out. And every one of them is a debate, you know, like, are we, are we incorporating that? Do we allow that? You know, and, and it's, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I wish there was some kind of way that paper games could be more digital, right? That paper games could be more concatenated maybe, or, or had a, like you said, a D&D insider that, that, that could be searchable. And I know that Pathfinder has something like that, you know, unofficially the PFSRD or officially the PRD or something like that. But man, it, it's, it's a, I don't know if, how you guys feel about it. it. It's, it's an interesting, like, should they continue to add features or should they just add one new compendium or I don't know. Mm. Everybody's like, dude, just stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have to think like, <clears throat> I think like so so the the thing about video games is like once a game is patched you can't go back to an older version of the game most of the time right but in D&D they can keep adding new like you can't play Hearthstone without the existence of Naxxramas or whatever you just it just doesn't exist or you can't play the Binding of Isaac without the expansion right it's like you, but they can keep adding D&D rules forever and you can just choose to use them or not right so I'm not like I think it's probably good that that extra level of complexity exists because there are players who get a kick out of that, and also it allows them to keep bringing in money, right? Because they, like, practically, they're not going to keep selling the volume of player handbooks that they sell when it comes out forever. But is, is that but, is that at some point a a losing battle? I mean, does it get so big and bloated, and does the complexity of Every time I'm going to sit down to a campaign, I have to argue about which rules I am and aren't, and I'm not using for so long. That is, is that maybe part of what creates the inertia to play these games after a while? I'm, I'm, I don't know. I think that the the argument. Oh, go, Gordon, I'm go curious ahead. about how uh, Munchkin scales up. We played a a base game uh, of that, and it was fun. But like, there are fifty expansions. How I don't. Do you... No, I don't. I think those are standalone games. I don't think. Oh, you don't. Expansions. You don't mix them in. Uh, no, I don't uh, think like, so. Munchkin, you're allowed to. Like, you have like they have booster packs of like Do random they? cards that you just add into your like existing decks. But, and but all those like Cthulhu Munchkin or like Pirate Munchkin, those are all standalone. Right, games. those are standalone, but, but, but like, you yeah. can find like there's a whole bunch of stuff where they just have like uh, cards that you just yeah, those are just add into your collection of cards or whatever. Yeah, those are those are but the like the the new decks are re just re reskins. They're not. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that they play with each other fine. Yeah, I'm sure you could, but I I think the game would just, like, you have too many cards, nothing would ever happen. Right, but, like, I'm thinking you'd, you'd, you'd curate that and have... So this is a thing that happened, this this phenomenon that's, your, that's being described as something that happened with Arkham Horror, right? Like, it just got so big and unwieldy and you couldn't, we couldn't figure out what the heck we were doing until we got the expansion that went back and retuned everything and rebalanced it and made it easier to play again. Hmm. I feel like uh, the Kingdom of Loathing did that too when they brought out uh, uh, standard type runs where they just said, all right, everything sure. older than one year. I mean, this is just... this is what magic does, yeah. right? It's type two. Yeah. So there has to be so some, I think that... some kind of concatenation or some kind of compendium 
version and some kind of fading or deleting mechanism. I think that it's good to have that as an option. I mean, the different, like, the reason that Magic has that is a lot of, like, for practical concerns. It's not fair to ask players to acquire your game. But... Like, the, the, the argument that you were saying, like, where, how do we choose what to play with and what not to play with, I think that that's different. Like, where that point is is different for every group. So it's a really thorny question, when is enough, because there is no actual answer. It's when is, when is it enough for your group or for your individual. Mm. And maybe the answer is, like, that's just a thing that, that the DM gets to make a decision about, and you just play with a DM that you like and trust. Like that's uh, it comes back to your friends, right? Not the rules. Spot something on the horizon. It's a dragon. Is it a? I was gonna say, Coming is to it a gazebo? <laughs> so, so you've given me an in, a very, very interesting insight, and I'll, I'll, I'll stop talking about this after I say this. But I'm so glad we had this conversation just for this because what what that tells me is that if D and D four O had come out and was not presented as a new game, but as an optional set of rules for the existing game and D&D 5 did the same such that they would be able to say, look, they all live in a continuous stream from 1.0 all the way to 5. You're just picking rules which you prefer. That might have been a more workable structure than a a reboot at 4 and then another reboot at 5. So... Yeah, I, I'd say maybe. Um, I think if they had done that for four and then rebooted with five, it might have even been better, just because people like to have to be able to say, "Oh, we'll play this game or we'll play this game." We don't always want to play the same I don't game. Think fifth could have existed as it does without the backlash against fourth. I agree. I mean, I, we're we're in a hypothetical right, world, okay. though, right? We're just, yeah. So, regardless of the reality, I think that like. If they want to put out another game that is just a different game with the same theming, like I, people bought Final Fantasy two, even though Final <laughs> Fantasy one existed, like people like things that are familiar and yet different. Okay. So so that like, but I don't think that it's harmful to just keep expanding a game out. Like I th- rather I think the harm in expanding a game out just forever and ever and ever is when it just stop selling right because like when you're putting money into it and you're not making your return i do really like the landscape that exists where some groups will play pathfinder and some groups will play fourth edition and some groups will play advanced dungeons and dragons a (laughs) d d like i like that i like that those choices are available right i do too but i do but i don't think that if they had chosen to do it differently it would have been harmful Hmm. it just would have been different anyway um, who, who's next? <laughs> Paul, Paul, you, By the, uh, once again, feel free to edit all of that out. <laughs> no, no, it's yes. fine. It's it's some interesting stuff. discussion. No, it's, we have some good design decisions. So, uh, when, when you're on the show, so it's good. Yeah. I think that that's, that like, that's what some of our, at least some of our listeners come for is to hear us talk about design. So, um, it's, it's good. Okay. Uh, I guess Paul, Paul, you're up. What have you? Yeah. Um, so I've been, uh, Playing what I usually do, uh, which is like Heroes, League of Legends, a little bit of Hearthstone, but not too much. Um, I've been playing a bunch of Guild Wars 2. I'm like slowly working my way towards building that legendary. 
Um, and I'm getting very close. I just need the most expensive part of it now. Um, or I can wait till the expansion where there's a way to just craft it. The expansion that comes out. In yeah, exactly. Days, right? So I'm probably, I'm just going to wait it out a little bit and just like probably go through that process and I'll have like my sweet legendary with like all the cool particle effects that that entails and feel very special uh, for a little bit of time. Um, uh, I'm just think if you had put all of the time that you put into getting that cosmetic weapon into like learning Siamese or yeah, something. Yeah, I, I could have. Uh, I could have been fluent in French by now if I'd put those hours. Yeah, I know, right? Into something into that, but it's fine. Like I, I, I enjoy playing the game, and I'm like super excited about the fact that Halloween uh, events are going to start happening, as well as uh, the all that sweet new expansion content. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I've been watching a whole bunch of the uh, League World Championships, which is uh, which has been pretty sweet. Um, though team that everyone expects to sort of win the uh, tournament is doing pretty well. They're the only undefeated team, and uh, North America um, looked terrible. Uh, sort of as expected, but there was a little bit of hype going into this tournament. Think, say, people were saying that like League of, uh, the North American League of Legends scene was like doing well in scrims or something, and when it came to the actual tournament, they uh, had a very subpar uh, win rate and got knocked out in the group stages. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be um, two Korean teams and two European teams in the quarterfinals. Um, and it's also surprising because China was also hyped up to be super good and every Chinese team just kind of uh, failed to live up to expectations. Even the single one that made it into the quarter, the quarterfinals, yeah. Um, I've I've been playing uh, the new Ascension um, expansion, which has been out for a while, but it was only released digitally um, recently. So I've been able to finally play that on my phone. And have you played Ascension before? Is that the card game? It, it's that one deck building that game that I own. It has like a row of six cards and everyone gets like stuff and they have to like... I don't you know, think so. Well, whatever. It's a deck building game and I like the design of it overall. It's like very interesting. It's uh, very much about drafting and uh, doing card evaluations on the fly. Um, and the new expansion adds like a hero that everyone gets and your hero has like some special abilities um, that like... You, you gain a special card to your hero, and it does, like, some weird stuff. And I'm not sure if I enjoy it, because um, what a lot of uh, this expansion and the previous expansion does is it, it mixes the factions in the game. And before, each faction had, like, its own very clear um, identity, what it does well in the game, and I really enjoyed that, um, because it made you make, like, some relatively meaningful choices as to which factions you want to kind of hone in on um, because you gain a lot of benefits if you go super deep into a certain faction. And by adding, like, this faction mixing stuff, it kind of blurs those lines and takes away a lot of meaningful choices because instead of um, figuring out whether you're going to get, you know, something from faction A or faction B, you just kind of like, this one's both of them, so whatever, it doesn't matter. 
and I'm not enjoying that as much, but it is okay, I guess. It's it's like definitely not as bad as um, other people had made it out to be. Because I remember hearing about other people going like, oh, this is the worst expansion yet. And I don't think it is, but it's not great. Um, the uh, a, a remake of Flyrench <clears throat> came out on Steam. Um, have you ever played Flyrench? Uh, I played as Flyrench in Super Meat Boy a couple yeah. years ago. So, I, like, interestingly enough, the first time I ever played this game was in the uh, Contemporary Museum of Art in uh, New York City, where it was just as itself an exhibit that you played on an NES controller. And, it, it, like, it was, it's a sweet game. I really enjoy it. Um, and it sort of disappeared off of the internet a little bit. And that was because apparently the creator who made Nidhogg um, was re-releasing it. Um, and I'm super excited because the new levels look uh, really cool. It looks more difficult than the previous game, but there's also way more polish to it. So I'm pretty excited. Um, I will probably buy it eventually and play through it, but I have not gotten around to it yet. Um, something that I did buy and play through, which I believe both Gord and Justin have, is the Beginner's Guide. Yep. Yes. Yep. Do you want to do you want to put that off until yeah, the, I think the end? Uh, Ed, have you played the Beginner's Guide? I, I have not. Okay. But, uh, but I, I, I did a little research before. For the podcast, so I'm not I'm not completely out of the water. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, then yeah, we, we can uh, table that for a bit. Um, yeah, I, that's more or less it for me. All right, Gord, you're you're up and you're last. Sweet. Uh, I've been playing. Yeah, I feel like I I, I largely talked about Dungeons and Dragons already. I uh, played some other than that. Nom Nom Galaxy, uh, which is Terraria with objectives. I guess it's like objective-based Terraria. Uh, you're dropped into a uh, crafted world uh, as a uh, 2D side-scroller type of game uh, where you are mining and collecting resources. And uh, the theming, though, is that you are making space suit. And you are, you've, you've got to build your, your factory and your... Uh, your your rockets to fire soup off to uh, to other planets, and you are competing against other soup companies on the same planet to uh, for for market uh, market share. And once you get a hundred uh, for a whole day, you uh, you win, and then you move to the next planet. Uh, it's it's charming, it's fun, and it's a good game to play with a controller uh, on the couch. I, th- I believe you can drop in a second player. Uh, the reason that I pulled this up was because a friend of mine was over and he brought his controller and we uh, wanted to play some. And then I found out that I had to play through, uh, I don't know, 45 minutes of tutorial first. Uh, and that was enough to get me playing some more. And uh, that's all right. it. That's all. All right, I guess Before we move on, that means not... Oh, go sorry, for it. I totally forgot my blindside obsession, which I, I, I will now say and then be done with. But I've been, <laughs> I've been watching religiously Critical Role. 
which mm-hmm. is a show from Geek and Sundry. Okay. And it's it's watching people play D and D fifth edition. Ooh. But, <laughs> but it just it just happens to be a group of voice actors and, okay. and one of the best DMs I've ever seen. So if you, wanna, that, if you wanna see what it is, is before that, you play it, you wanna you wanna see how narrative comes together as a group before you actually try it, that's what a great introduction that, that is. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch that and uh, pick up some tips. Yeah, do, it's really, is that it's really, do the, really uh, the the pre generated uh, campaigns? No, he, he I guess he had a Pathfinder campaign and he had already got this going and then um, Geek and Sundry found out about it and contacted him, and then they decided that their first episode they would con- well before their first episode they would convert the entire campaign over to fifth edition, oh. and so so he converted like all the characters over to fifth edition. So there is a gunslinger in in the group, mm. and you know they freely admit that they got a lot of house rules going on, but it's a great example of how flexible the system is how like a great DM and how great people getting into it, like the social dynamics of the team, like they fight with each other a little bit and then they resolve it. And I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful watch, but you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound with that. It's like four hours an episode. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So you can watch it in sessions. Is that, is it sort of like um, Zach Smith's D and D with porn stars that he does? I don't know if you know who that is. I, I, I have heard about it, but never seen it. So I don't know. Okay. These people, are actually, these people are actually interesting okay. players to watch. They're not like some of them are no- are noobs, but some of them really know what they're doing. Okay. And they have. And they, they like, keep their clothes on the entire time. Yes. <laughs> I think they do. In, I think they do in D&D with porn stars, too. Right. Zach Smith's um, Zach Smith's a, an art, just an artist who is also uh, a game designer um, and a porn star. And because all of his friends are in porn, he does a show on The Escapist where he calls his friends who are porn stars over and they play D&D, which I, I don't know. I haven't ever watched it. He was here a couple weeks ago to talk about designing games. So so interesting. Their motivations are the same. I mean, the guys who got this together were voice actors, so they brought together more voice actors. But it's a, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun watch if, if you want to see what D, D&D 5.0, in my opinion, can be at its best. All right. All right, now we should uh, we should talk about the beginner's guide. So, Paul, you were the one who bought this game for us, I guess. Uh, so why, Wait, don't, why don't you? Did Gord play it off of my Steam share? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. I didn't know Gord. Yep. You are the you are, <laughs> you bought this game and we all played it. That's cool. Capitalism at work. Um, <laughs> yep. But, yeah, uh, I actually uh, I actually played it because of um an article on Boing Boing um that I randomly came across. Uh, that was talking about the game, and I think I read the first half of it because it was talking about uh, Davy uh, Reedon, who made the Stanley Parable. I'm like, oh, I like the Stanley Parable. Let me read this article. I got halfway through, and it's like, now I'm going to talk about spoilers of the game. And because yeah. <laughs> it's like a deeply narrative game, you probably want to uh, go play it if you haven't and want to read the rest of this. I'm like, I will do that, and I spent $10 right then and there, and... Totally are, worth it. There are a lot of different possible interpretations, though. I, I did not see my interpretation listed in uh, in either of the Boing Boing articles. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's um. By the way, if uh, yeah. if if you haven't played this, 
Ed. <laughs> <laughs> pause the pause the podcast. Go play it. It's uh, eleven bucks on Steam. Yeah, it's like it's like ten bucks, and it's an hour of your time. We'll just keep recording, and you can tell us your impressions <laughs> as we play. <laughs> nice. Yeah, uh, uh, it's, it's it's good. Um, it's, I don't know. It's. I don't think this is a game you can actually. Spoil. I think it's more important than it is right. good. Right. I. I mean, I, mean, I like, like um, Jim Sterling's uh, review of this game uh, was just him talking about his childhood life, mm. and I think that's just kind of like uh, I, I liked his approach to it. It's like it's a game that you can't spoil because there isn't too much to talk about without just like self-indulging and just talking about yourself for a while because it really is just about um, how you and other people feel about things and getting into human consciousness and how we function as people. That reminds me of the uh, that, that Metroid 2 review. Man, that Metroid 2 review. I feel so bad for her. Yeah. She like She is just like dead on the internet now. The woman who wrote that. Yeah. Uh, what happened uh, after that? She, I don't know what happened. She, like, I spoke with her about it actually. Um, she was, she was at one point going to be a podcast guest. Oh. Uh, so, something happened, and she fell like off the internet, and all of her social media accounts were deleted, and every, like, everything was gone. And I don't know what happened. Like, this was, this is like a week after I spoke to her. So, oh, man. I don't know what happened, but it was. Presumably not good. She's, I know that she was like, I mean, I, I guess as we learned in that essay, she spent a lot of time homeless and has a lot of problems with, like, because people in this country treat trans people really crappily and just all, all sorts of other other issues that are in, not, in no way her fault. Mm. Um, anyway, I don't know. I like this game better than the Stanley Parable. It, it um, was really, yeah. like, I mean, I said that it's not, I, I didn't mean that it's not good. I mean that it's not an enjoyable, fun game experience. It's 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 difficult to play sometimes. Not yeah. because it's, like, mechanically hard, but. So, for for people, I guess, who are still listening, even though they haven't played it because they don't care about spoilers also because i don't think you can spoil this game yeah no it, it it is it is i mean you sort of can like uh it has a narrative right but i don't think that the narrative is important right except for abstractly yeah that's fair like uh so let like let's let's sum this up very so quickly for, for at, the sake of at, everyone at who has base value it. this is a story about someone who has lost contact with someone who they used to know and want to get back in contact with them by showing off a whole bunch of video games that this person had made. And, and also it it's about kind of chronologically. Right. And kind of and delving into who this person is, what they uh, think like, uh, like what's going through their mind, what their general demeanor is or how they present themselves to the world uh, through this uh, expression through making video games. Right. How and whether or not you can understand a person by looking at their art and also sort of the the struggle for that a lot of artists have with the need for self-validation validation mm. and the need for and the sort of the inability to be okay with your own work and the need for external validation and Reden is narrating this all to you while you're playing right and he also right. like the, um he 
like he presents himself as a real person talking about another real person um but i think by like and he maintains that that is the way that this that this is yeah true. and even like mm. he, in interviews and stuff he interviewed he he maintains that this is all literally true. i, I huh. thought um he hadn't said anything about this game yet he was on a podcast a couple days okay. ago where he mm. made it was all true. Uh, that all that might have all been in in character. Right. Yeah, I, I remember hearing that he wasn't going to talk about this game um, at, at like much length for a couple of years or something like that. So um, early on, I had the the impression that uh, okay, th- this isn't actually another person. This, this isn't this isn't another real person that we're uh, we're, we're talking about here. Uh, this is just like a, a stand-in for the game designer. I read it as a stand-in for himself. Yeah, and then, he was just talking right. about. And himself. then it got really personal, and then I decided that it's himself, and like the the voice that is talking to you is the the sociable external uh, personality, and the and Coda, the the coder is his like his his dark creative side that gets upset when he uh, doesn't like the games that come out of his uh, creativity. So and he's trying um, to find that again yeah so droken who made the game starseed pilgrim published an article on october 6th which i I, this came out on what the 10th so it was just four days before this came out i think is that is that right it might have been slightly earlier than that but around that time yeah yeah about how he made starseed pilgrim and it was a huge hit it blew up it was more praise than he ever had gotten at any other game that he'd ever made and it made him feel really good, and that like it it made him realize that he could make you know capital G capital T good things like big big good important things in the world in terms of games, and how that actually really hurt him because he it, when he before he had the success he was thinking a lot about sort of oh I have this idea for a game I wonder that what that would be like and then he would just make it. But now that he was a guy who made video games that people knew, he had to spend a lot of time thinking about art and sort mm. of games and the process of art. And Reminds me of, uh, what sort notch. of yeah, sort of what what sort of things that he wanted to make, like a weird MMO or like a, a La Mulana type game or something, and that he just couldn't get any of these ideas to take hold, and he started thinking like, what's What's wrong with me? Why can't I make these real games that I wanted to make that now that I have the opportunity to make real games? And he's just starting to realize that it's not... It's because he's not driven by what if anymore. He's, he's sort of become jaded. It's not It's not what if, it's when I finally. Right. And so realizing this, he thinks, is going to help him get back sort of on the path, the creative path that he was on before he actually found success and i feel like that that i guess experience is very very closely mirrored by the experience of the narrator in this game right and i feel like notch a little less because notch for notch it was more about the (laughs) oh no (laughs) the celebrity that was the problem i felt like based on what he said it was the celebrity that he was having trouble with like it was not the creative part of the success that he was having trouble with it because he was still making stuff and ha- and enjoying mm. that, but it was the fact that everybody knew who he was and he had a lot of but, money, but it didn't feel like he had any. It also felt like he couldn't uh, like just do what he used to is like work on a project and then abandon it when he just right. 
didn't want it. Right, because now there were business expectations about it, but I'm not sure that it was artistic. Every game that he made had to be a hit. Right. I don't think, but this is both this game and I think Joken thing were about sort of the artistic concern and not the the business concern. Well, no, I mean, like I think that he he I might be wrong. Make he he couldn't follow his art. He had to make business successes. I think that's that's. Mm. I feel like it's a, there's a difference. Validation. Like he couldn't just make a game that was a, a neat, fun little art toy. He had to make the next Minecraft. He totally did, though. I played a bunch yeah. of them that he just put out for Ludum Dares. Right, but I mean, that, right. there was different like, between Ludum right. Dares and like right. that was working his on right. um, like his yeah. space game. That yeah, no, on. I understand. I, I take the point that you're making. <laughs> and you discard it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, I don't know, Ed. Do you have any thought, like thoughts about this sort of thing? Have you have you experienced these sorts of things before? Yes. <laughs> okay. um, what's what's your perspective on uh, this? So, gosh, um, as you guys have been talking, I have been watching uh, the beginner guide, and mm-hmm. um, I did some reading prior to the podcast. I would say that uh, I wouldn't even put it in the in the term. I think putting it in the box of game is is really doing it a disservice. I think works like this are very important. Um, it reminds me of the, the work that I personally found the most important in all the game business, which was a, a little video game called Passage. Um, sure. For, for me, when I experienced Passage, it was a going from two dimension to three dimension experience. I think that one of the cheapest and most awful things that have happened to video games in recent history, and by recent history, I'll say the last 10 years, is I have watched this industry go from an industry that was comprised of of social outcasts that didn't fit anywhere else, kind of getting together in secret and in private to create life like Frankenstein out of the things that they loved and for the sheer joy of selling it to the, giving it to the world in many cases. And I have watched the con- the entire conversation of video games morph into how do we get people addicted? What is the monetization strategy? How do we get retention? And it has become, you know, the pendulum's just swung to, to the other side. And I'm sure that'll level out, but I think, I think things like this and Passage are, are here to try to help swing that pendulum back because people want to believe that video games are science. We naturally want to believe that everything can be made science, but I, I, I strongly feel that video games are art. And I think that we, we have really done ourselves a disservice not exploring that more and um yeah i mean i can relate i mean i i I haven't had notch's success but i can tell you after after building command and conquer and red alert you know i i certainly had lots of people expecting a lot from me after that and i and i certainly went through my my time of wow 
you know, nothing I can do is good enough. Nothing I can create will, will, will please because people's expectations are growing, hopefully only linearly over time. So, you know, two years after Command and Conquer, they want double the Command and Conquer. Four years after Command and Conquer, they want eight times the Command and Conquer. So, yeah, I, I, I get it. I mean, uh, hearing you guys talk about this guy, I'm like, man, I'm almost, you know, I'm almost like driven to tears because it's, it's, it's a struggle in a world where there is so much money, and that's typified by Riot. I mean, here's a company built on one game making over $350 million a year. Yeah, and they're hiring everybody. Right, and and in and and in a world where that is possible, the amount of intense, insane pressure to create not art, but vending machines, software vending machines of money or software ATMs is about probably a better way of saying it. Is is very high. I mean, I can't tell you the number of pitches that I've walked into trying to sell products and people are looking at me like, well, this isn't, you know, 4X Command and Conquer. What are we talking about here? And it's like, I I'm not just Command and Conquer. I'm not just Red Alert, you know? And and that's, you know, I, I think that's a trap that all, and, and I, I use this term sparingly because I, I have trouble calling myself an artist, but all artists fall into, right? They have a hit record or a hit podcast or a, a hit painting and and everybody just wants more of that. Like I, I remember when I was in college, one of my art classes that I, that I was in, he said, we're going to teach you how to make art for the real world. So you're going to make, make whatever you want, but for the next 10 weeks, you're going to be making more of that. And that's what people want to see. They want to see a portfolio. They want to see a portfolio they understand, right? And and so, yeah, I I, I totally get it. I mean, and, and more power to this guy for making this. I hope he sells a gazillion, and and I hope he does get. More importantly, I hope he gets on his, you know, creative track. And I hope the world supports his artistic endeavors more than his, you know, basal adrenaline. Uh, you know, it attempts to touch your lizard brain and get you to be compulsed and addicted to to whatever whatever piece of visual he's showing you. Yeah, I think that the the per like, I felt like he made this game for himself, not for other people, yeah. and he's selling it because he can. Like, you, you, like you can't just I, work on something and like not the happen, ethics right? of like if we take his narrative at face value, how incredibly scummy it is for him yeah. to be selling this. Yeah, yeah, it like it makes it. If you li if you take him literally, he is just selling somebody else's creative work and making money off. Who right? explicitly but asked him not not to, to do that, right? Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's kind of why it's a, not a very believable if you story to take literally. <laughs> the, the Boing Boing article, the, uh, the 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 writer was mad at being right. yeah. The, the writer took complicity. it literally well, and I then mean, played it again and was like, oh wait. Yeah. I mean, by the time you kind of get to the epilogue, it's like almost too clear that the entire story like has to be fiction because it gets a little bit too self-aware right really but personal i think too. that this yeah i think that this game is sort of just like one in a in a series of a bunch of games that are coming out that 
are more, are, you know, they're, they're not made for the player. They're made for the creator, right? I mean, it's like all of Anna Anthropy's stuff or Nina's stuff, right? Or, yeah. or, um, who, who like uh, any, anybody else who's making personal games, I don't know, Maddie Bryce. Yeah. Um, but, but let me, let me stop, let me stop you there. Cause I, I hear you, you putting a, a whole package of stuff around personal games. I, I, Mm-hmm. Market it, market it. <laughs> we gotta just, boil this down and find the essence and capitalize on it. Well, what I'm what right? I'm hearing, what I'm hearing, or, or and maybe I'm getting it wrong. What I'm hearing you saying though is that there's this assumption that that personal games are um, uh, indie, are uh, uh, rougher, are are not commercial. No, I just think that that's who's making personal games. You don't see EA making a personal game. And it's harder for a corporation to make it because a corporation oh, isn't a... I was going to say a corporation like, yeah. isn't a person, but I guess legally they are, right? Well, but, but yeah. yes and no. I mean, if you if you believe the stories, The Sims was a personal game. Sure. You know, if you believe the stories, everything that John Romero did was a personal game. So, I mean... But was were they making those games for themselves or were they making them for other like for other yeah, people I, to I guess play. that's the distinction like are you making because i try to make games that i would play right well and I, I, I don't think i would say that that's for me because that sounds really arrogant but I, I uh I, I think a lot of this actually is sort of covered in the beginner's guide because like you see um uh the davy as a narrator having a lot of discussions with coda and the backstory that they would have this like heated conversations of whether games should be like playable for the player and like there's right. like, all this like uh hidden stuff from the player and like why is that there and if only for Switches like on the other side of the door exactly so i i don't want to put words in nina's mouth uh so like if if i'm if i'm going to say that she said this and i'm wrong she is free to come and correct me she you know she's welcome here anytime whenever she gets the, the chance to come back but i feel like from talking with her about her games it's a game that she makes to deal with some aspect of her own life or some experience that she's had and then she puts it out so that other people can do what davy is talking about right they can through through playing her game connect with her on some level right, but I think all and games it's an expression of what I'm saying. Right, but I don't think I don't think that that's what all games. I think that that's what the vast minority of games right. are. I, I I completely agree with you. But like, for example, you know, we hear that all the time with, with books and we don't bat an eye. I mean, J.K. Rowling has said numerous times that she wrote those books for her, right? That the, there are people in there, she was exercising demons within those stories, right? And, you know, I mean, no, nothing else is coming to mind, but Eat, Pray, Love, you know, was a personal book that was commercially viable. I mean, I, I just think that... that we do ourselves a huge disservice in this business by trying to create something that we aren't interested in ourselves whenever we try to create something we aren't interested in ourselves but we feel is going to be quote-unquote commercially viable. Right? So, I th- so I think that that has to do with the nature of the me- the age of the medium right. and the complexity of the tools of development. So this this is something that I could talk about for a long time because this is what I'm doing my research about. But I think that games, I, I feel like I've probably said this on this podcast before, games as a medium, you know, they're what, 
60, 70 year old, years old in video games anyway. G- games are much older. Um, but if you look at the history of film, which is probably the closest industry analog to games, pro- probably, uh, I'm going to say for the sake of the argument that it is, how long did it take film before artists understood the camera as a mechanism for producing compelling art you get you know you have griffiths making birth of a nation you have you know uh citizen kane experimenting with the way that angles and work you 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 have all of these different artists sort of working through the very basics that are just today taken for granted and I i don't know it took 40 50 years maybe film film was 1890 ish give or give or take I'm going to say that's right. Somebody is going to come into the <laughs> comment section of this podcast and just destroy me because I'm not bothering to, to ch- double check any of my facts. But I'm going to say I'm roughly correct. Um, games have been around for how long? They are infinitely di- more difficult to produce than film. A person at this point can just pick up a camera on their phone and start shooting something. And audiences through the fact... through through the consumption of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of films every year and over the span of our lives in this country as part of the culture, you know, they, they say the 20th century is the century of film, just innately understand how films communicate to their audience. We know that when you see this angle with this lighting, this emotion is what is being conveyed. And we're just not there in games. We're, we're so... We haven't had, you know, we haven't had the Citizen Kane of, Kane of games and we're not going to because that's a stupid idea but we're also not going to have the yep that was it (laughs) but we're not going to have the birth of a nation of games we're not going to have the game that explains to everybody else how games work the way that we have a a movie or you know a cluster of period of movie that explains how cameras work the, po- the the possibility space for games is just way bigger don't you think, than it is in don't film. Don't you think part of the reason for that is because there is such an influx in our industry of people who aren't artists first? You know, like, I mean, you, you can say that there were only a few seminal movies that, that, put, that made that, made camera aware to people, but, I mean, I believe that Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin were, were, working on that too right i i believe sure and, and and there's a there's a there's a functional difference between i mean there's a really I, I, we can argue whether movies is the best analog or not later but there's a functional difference between the two in that as i see it the 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 entire first um well movies even to this day are about getting you to feel emotion and so that's what art I wouldn't even limit that to movies. I'd just say that's what art is sure, about. Sure, but but why it's important to say it's it's movies because even in the midst of making a ton of money, that making a ton of money revolves around a getting you to believe a, a set of characters and a narrative that compels you to spend twelve dollars a show, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas I think we're do we're we're exploring a whole new world with video games, in that. We haven't got that yet, and we haven't spent a lot of time. There are there are factions that do try, but we have gone after the visceral 
adrenal lizard brain. And we have gone after compulsion addiction. Um, we've gone after checkboxes and to-do lists. We've gone after a very arithmetic set of, of functions as opposed to I have to play this game because it's going to make me cry. And I know that's a horrible trope that gets overused, but I have to play this game because I'm going to believe in the characters. I'm going to, I really want to see what, you know, Sergeant, Sergeant, you know, the Master Chief. Fine, I'll pick a known one. I want to see what happens to Master Chief next. You know, I want to see what happens to Shepard next. No one says that, right? And, and, that was never the case in movies. Even when it was in its massive studio era, there was a group knowledge that if the story was crap, it was going to be very hard to sell this movie. Right? Now, you could. You could overmarket and over and push it, and there's always those things you could do. But, if, but it's about feeling connected, feeling emotion. And I think that's a huge difference, right? We have... There is a large body of our industry that has lost that way, in my opinion, that has forgotten that the, the true path to multiplicative revenue is emotion. I think it's a tough, I think it's a tough question. I, I think that while games have, well, games have their basis in you know, non-digital games, right? And non-digital games are not a, med uh, a medium that has been traditionally interested in narratives and emotions. It's been interested mm -hmm. in entertainment, right? I think like the, you can go by, you could track it back to like okay. the, the, the oral history and storytelling around the fire. So, but like play, play is a thing that is not uniquely human. I mean, animals play, right? Play is not narrative. Mm. It, it can be, but it it's not an inherent feature of well that's play. that's what I think my point is I mean my, my point right. is that that because we have another sense involved, the touch sense, and because we mm -hmm. have this dexterity component where we're actually affecting an alternate universe, and because we have you know this kind of monkey see monkey do brain where we can imagine ourselves there it's it's a lot easier to get compelled by a video game, even if it is poor in story. Sure. Yes. Because absolutely. you're doing stuff, right? Yes. And, and, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't reach higher. Oh, I don't disagree with that. I, hmm. I do think that every, certainly every game doesn't need to do that. There is a place for all sorts of games. I think that, sure. A lot of, a lot of people, um, in in one direction or another, because this is this is a, a sort of a reaction that is easy to understand. Feel that if there are a lot of X type of game, and I don't like that type of game, that's bad because clearly it is cutting into the production of the sorts of games that I want to see. And I'm not sure if that is true. I think that, like, that's what that's what Gamergate was founded on, right? Like, ah, oh, they, they want to take away the games that we like when, when like, that's... Like, the existence of games that they like does not preclude the existence of games that you like. Yeah, I, I was just trying to make, like, a... I guess the point I was making is, 
If somebody handed me $10 million today and said, make a game, I think I would make a pirate game because I miss Sid Meier's Pirates. And sure. I'd be making it for me, and I, and, and, mm -hmm. but it would be, I think, something that if I did well enough, it would be commercially viable. Yeah, I think that anything, if it's good enough, is commercially viable, right? It just has to, but, but what is, like, commercially viable with the right marketing? Like, how, that, that's, that's the real problem with, I read an interesting article on Gamma Citra maybe a month ago that was about how indie development right now is, is dead. I don't, I didn't, I didn't agree with this article on every point, but it was an interesting, it, it got me thinking. And it said that people who are indie developers now, small, small publishing houses or independent, just solo game designers are no longer asking, how do I make a good game? They're asking how do I get my game noticed? Mm. And that even a, a small a small studio that puts out a game that makes a million dollars, they are in triple AAA development because they have the marketing budget which allows them to penetrate the garbage noise that exists in the app store or the game market or when you walk into GameStop. It allow because otherwise, how in the world do you ever get your game discovered i mean the answer i guess is undertale how did that guy get that game discovered and make it but well but it's a, maybe that's the exception that proves you're the making rule. you're making an interesting point but I, I think that how do i get my game noticed really is just a, a a clever mask that how do i sell my game is wearing right because if you're truly making it for yourself you're you're not worried about whether it gets noticed or not Right. I mean, the problem, the re the problem reality is like, I need to make, like, I need to eat, sure, right? Sure. And, and that's, and that's going to be an ongoing problem as the time it takes for human knowledge to double gets shorter and shorter and shorter. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, it's a great question. I mean, how I have seen really, really, really good games not get the right marketing and not sell at all. Yeah, I mean, I've seen that happen with every like movies too. Sure. Anything that like everything needs marketing now. Every but th but everything needs somebody to tell you why it's worth looking at because there's just too much stuff and you could never look at it all. <laughs> Agreed. I just don't. That's a yeah. that's a unique problem to our industry. I think that's a a worldwide phenomenon in every category of goods and services. I, that's probably true. I think. In games, it might just be a new problem. It, yeah, sure. yeah, this wasn't a problem that games had 10 years ago. And the growth of games as an industry is so rapid in such a short period of time that a lot of people are running into it. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and it's, and it's self-perpetuating, right? Because the, easy, the more people get into it, the harder it is to find some stuff. And yeah, the 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 more volume there is, the more people there want to get into it because they see it as a good business opportunity or something that they have wanted to do creatively but didn't think they could, and now the tools have become, have become democratized enough. So they can. It's just there's there's more and more and more and more. But, and the fact that there's more causes there to continue to be more. I well, don't eventually think that, there's a collapse, right? Eventually... Yes, there's, it's a bubble. Yeah, I mean, it's just like the, the board game industry. Like, the more I, I learn about the physical game space, the more I realize they've kind of come through that. Like, they've, mm -hmm. they had their bubble. 
they've had their collapse. And like when I talk to those people, they, they really get that. They really, they're very genuine. They're very cooperative. It's, it's, we're all in this together and there's still a marketing issue. There's still a, but, but it's, it's, there's a different tone. And I think we just haven't had that bubble pop yet. Gordon, what were you going to say? I was going to spout some idealistic stuff. (laughs) Okay. Like Dwarf Fortress. Dwarf Fortress is a game made by two people, uh, and they do it for themselves and they do it for their fans. And there's this this very strong, relatively small cult following. Sure. And they make, you know, they, 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 they give the game away for free and they get enough regular donations that they can mm-hmm. just continue doing this indefinitely. And like, you know, that's... Just like King, King yeah, of yeah, exactly. too. And like, it's what they love doing. They don't need to... They don't. They don't. They're not pushing themselves to become commercially viable. They don't need to be Notch or Bill Gates. They're, you know, they're they're very. I mean, I I guess I don't. Interesting that I, you chose two Microsoft figures. <laughs> yeah. Well, he he got out before the the buyout. Yeah, right? yeah, he did. All yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, no, he was the one who sold. He sold to oh, Microsoft. Okay. So. I don't know. I, I think that the the. But there's only one Dwarf Fortress. Yeah, and I think that Dwarf Fortress is an extremely valuable uh, experience to have, even if it's not globally accessible or on every billboard. Dwarf Fortress is also not a video game. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Uh-huh. Well, don't you don't you think though that at least some part of this is is Hollywood all over again? Right. Don't you think that some I mean, like I, I feel like it is. I feel like we're witnessing a, a you know, a, pup, a puppy mill, so to speak, or a video game to developer mill era where a lot of privatized institutions have realized that there's a lot of money behind selling kids the dream of, you know, teaching you how to make video games so that you can make a, a billion dollars like Notch. Right. Or whatever Notch made multiple billions of dollars. Um, and, and what we're getting is this kind of gold rush era, not on the upper echelons, but in the talent level. And, and mm-hmm. that's, I mean, it's what happened. It's what happened with the Atari, like the Atari, like the console market <laughs> crashed, right? Like this has happened before. Sure. And, and you just overproduce and overproduce and suddenly nobody cares. I'm not sure if that crash is going to happen in the same way, because I think that everybody, like there's. Too many people are too invested in video games now, well, and, and that's so, why every that's why broad. every waiter in LA is a writer. You know, it. it right. It, but yeah. it, despite despite the 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 I don't know commoditization or the the, the marketing side of things, I'm still very glad that uh, there are people like like Tarn uh, who are content to make the things that they want to make, even if they don't become massive commercial successes. I think a lot and of I people would just that... be satisfied with their game making enough money for them to continue eating. <laughs> that's that's like, I think a big there thing. are a lot of people who would be okay with that. Uh, absolutely. If, if like, okay, so, all right, let's, uh, hypothetical world again. Uh, there's a, a universal minimum wage or uh, a living wage. I don't, I don't know what the term is. Everyone gets to eat despite their output or, or uh, 
uh, in spite of their efforts. So mm -hmm. we have a world now where everyone can make video games, but they don't make money off of them. Uh, but they can still, you know, eat and wear clothes and not die in uh, in, in rainstorms or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, what what do video games look like in that situation? I don't think that you'd have the the, the multi billion dollar uh, AAA titles. Uh, you'd have some, yeah, because some people enjoy those. Like I I love I love myself a Dragon Age. Right. But, like... People really like... I know someone that really likes Halo. Sure. I mean, I like Halo. Uh, but... In, in, this in this world you have proposed, is there a lack of ambition? No. But okay. I think that the, ambush am the ambition that exists would be more driven by the desire to create and to share than to earn. Like, our, is, our, our video games better or worse for that like i guess the you wouldn't have the motivation of becoming notch i guess you wouldn't have i i guess this does not preclude people making more money than they would normally make so i guess people would still want to okay well, there are people who will never be satisfied with the amount of money right. they make that, yeah that's true well we're, you know it, it's funny i was looking up uh, a book called leisure the basis of culture and it just got me thinking that that maybe what we're doing is we're we're getting into the book era, you know, where there's just thousands of books and most of them don't come to the fore. So, like, if if every game developer made a game for like their four or five friends to play, and that was it, and that was satisfying because you weren't, uh, would that be satisfying because you weren't? betting your 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 life uh and and the uh the living of your family to to make this thing and take this risk like would what would would that be worse than... i imagine that you would i mean it would look mostly the same except for you would have a bunch more interesting creative games coming out in addition because people wouldn't feel the need to pare back what they're doing to be market suitable right like I think you would just see more games than we have now, not less, not fewer. yeah, right. And and but would that be worse necessarily? I mean, like there there would be no, there would be so many more games out there than you'd ever be able to play. But that's already the case. Right. Okay. And and you wouldn't necessarily see them because there wouldn't be the marketing, right? So right. Like my my version of that, like you're 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 saying that, and I'm like I would be in heaven. <laughs> I would be like. Dude, I want to live in your world now. Yeah, that's why I always tell Gord that he like his his vi his vision of the world is incredibly idealistic and unrealistic. Mm. So I mean, I, the idea of being able to like so let me abstract it a little bit. The idea of being able to make a living wage being a DM every Friday or a DM every day, mm -hmm. or or to be able to make a game like I remember we played a we played a text version game of our own creation called Gladiators which was text-based gladiatorial combat. And we played this in college, mm -hmm. and we loved it. I mean, we had tournaments. We had all sorts of craziness around it. The idea of being able to recreate GLAD just for those same eight guys, I, I would do that in a second if I didn't have to worry about 
about eating. Mm. So, Matt, have you, uh, Ed, do you know Stone LeBrand? I don't. Okay, I think you would really be interested in talking to him. Um, he works at Riot now, but, uh, <laughs> like, like everybody, he works at Riot, but he, he has this really excellent, I think it might be on, in the GDC vault, if you, if you have access to that, it actually might just be free, okay. where he has a talk called 15 Games in 15 Years, where he talks about, so every year, he, what he does is he makes a game for his kids for Christmas, just like a, a board game. Okay. And he walks through each less each year what he made, how it worked, and what lessons he learned, and how he used to just be. I think he was like a computer programmer, and he was just making these games for his family. And then he made a game one year that he was really into Diablo two, and he wanted to share that with his kids who were too young to play Diablo two. And then he thought, well, maybe I can go to Blizzard and get the license for this and publish it. And they hired him to work on Diablo. And that was how he got into games. But I think I think that you would be really interested in in hearing this guy talk. Okay. Um, so I would check it out because he's the sort of things where he's talking about disc- about designing games for small groups of people that you really care about, and sort of not being interested in selling them, but just being interested in crafting an experience that you know that they personally will enjoy is something that he's done a lot of over the past. I guess it's probably like nineteen years now. He kept doing it. His his talk is a little out of date. Right. Um, yeah, I'm on, I'm on his wiki and it, it has it there. So I'll, I'll follow up on it because that uh, I'll tell you that resonates with me in a big way. Like I'm playing my I'm teaching my son how to design games and mm-hmm. I can't tell you the joy that brings me. I mean, just yeah. being able and the idea that I am someday going to I'm, I mean, I'm working on an RPG. I'm doing this. I'm working on an RPG mm-hmm. version of D&D 5E. Well, I shouldn't say it's a version of it. I should say D&D 5E inspired me to come up with a much mm-hmm. simpler version of a role-playing game that my son could get at the age of nine and right. and take off on. And I'm trying to finish it for Christmas. So it's funny that you mentioned all of that because I'm trying to – I'm hoping that in the new year there will be a campaign in the house with my, my wife has already agreed to play, my son, my brother, and whoever else I can get that's in the close family – and mm-hmm. I, I that thing lights me up. Working on it just totally lights me up. Yeah, I would definitely <laughs> recommend his. I mean, he he's sort of like known for his illuminating GDC talks. I think he has a, a billion of okay. them. There, there's uh, a uh, um, there's a boing boing article about uh, one of the writers made a version of Dungeons and Dragons for his four year old daughter, and uh, I, think I think that that might got uh, a little while ago. Right. Yeah, send me the link. That might be interesting to look at. Uh, did you didn't were you working on a on a tabletop game like last time you were on the show? I think you were working I, on something. I was, and I and I have finished uh, all except the final. Like I have a prototype. I've place tested it. It's really fun, and um, it's one of the things that I'm going to start talking to publishers about. Go for it. Yep. So yeah, I mean, it just as a pure hobby, but everybody mm-hmm. who plays it really digs it. It's ten minutes to learn about. Depending on how noob you are, you know, somewhere between 15, 30 and 50 minutes to play. Um, and it's really fun. Cool. So coming, coming uh, game of the year 2016. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, that would be awesome. Because I really enjoyed yeah. making it. I think that the, the, the things that come out of that mindset are uh, end up being a lot more interesting to me. Like the... 
the the thing that you're doing in in your spare time and for like yourself and your friends is going to be a lot more appealing to me than I mean that's what that's where braid came from hmm. right like that was what kicked off the like the indie era was braid coming out on Xbox Live Arcade or like maybe that not wasn't the catalyst but it was definitely like the one of the things you can point to just suddenly everybody stood up and took notice of individuals making games yeah. and like maybe it's kind of maybe it kind of sucks that it took John Blow pouring over a million dollars of his own money into making a thing but that's that's what it was but is that is and that he, bad i mean to have to no. have a dream like that and and to and to have the resources to right. do it. Right. I mean, I don't know. I, I think, I think if that would have ever broken him, or if the, the money didn't match the passion, it would have stopped. Right. So. Right. And it, I mean, how long has he spent working on his next game? How long? Like the witness has been in development for how long now? I, who even knows? He may be going through the same thing <laughs> yeah. we've been talking about. It, it just got a release date. Ooh. So. Um, January twenty sixth is when that's actually going to come out. But it's been in been in development i guess 2009 was when it was announced well, you know the the follow-up to a success is probably mm -hmm. the hardest thing ever it's yeah. almost like, well, especially it's almost like you want to throw something out just to get it over with and then move on to the, the real thing well it's especially for like a guy like john blow who is really really consummate in his vision for a game and like the fact that Braid didn't have any puzzles in it that you saw more than once. There was no experience in Braid that was repe repeated at any point in the game. And the fact that the witness has like 700 puzzles in it and you're not, and he, it's just exponentially larger. I know it's supposed to be like mist. We'll see how it is. It looks pretty. I'm excited. Yeah, it looks good. Um, Ah, man, I don't, I don't know. It's just hard. I mean, he's probably under yeah. the yoke of that too, right? He's probably like, yeah, I'm sure he is. And it's, it's nice that he, what he did with the money that he made back from Braid was set up the indie games fund to fund other people making right. games that they didn't have the funding to make. I mean, like, like but, I noticed that that he went to 3D from 2D. And, you know, yeah, I, that's a huge. I, job. I wonder how intentional that was and how much that was a pressure feeling, you know? And well, also, Braid wasn't his first game, right? He made a bunch of games that no one played, just like Ed McMillan made a million games that nobody and, played and before Rodeo Super Meat Fight. Yeah. Just like Coda. And, uh, and uh, what, what's his name? Uh, Dong Nguyen, who made Flappy Bird, <laughs> made a million games before <laughs> Flappy Bird got big. Oh, Flappy Bird, uh, I love you. I know Flappy Bird is great. I, 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 it's a thing that I am super happy exists, and I'm happy. I, I don't know if it's back on the App Store. I still have it on my phone. I'm afraid think, to delete it because I won't be able to get it back. I think it's a very compromised version. People are people are paying a lot of money for iPhones that still have that original app. Are they? Ah, uh, they were. You know, apparently you can get a Flappy Bird family exclusively on Amazon Fire TV. So you know, I, I, I guess I think uh, that game was yeah. such such a deep such a deeply missed message right at least what i took from that game was people want more challenge and and i, I was so surprised how it just became a bunch of copycatting and, and and no one drew 
you know, it's like Dark Souls, right? It's Dark Souls is so. Have you played Dark yeah, Souls? Yeah, people want hard. You know, people. Yeah. People want to earn, right? It's like a friend. Of mine. I don't think that the hardness is the point of Dark Souls, though. I think that that's what people talk about. But I feel like when you focus on the difficulty of Dark Souls, you're also sort of missing the point. Well, but I, I think that that in this world where we've gone through, we're we're in the slot machine era of our of our business, where mm-hmm. we're just doling right. out prizes everything's becoming kitsch right and and no everything is easy and i don't you think get you it. can underestimate the value of earning something no i don't think so either especially like uh when paul when i was playing dark souls the other day paul you may remember i said you know that feeling when you kill a thing in dark souls that was about to kill you with just a sliver of your health left is incredibly satisfying yeah you, you feel like the time you spent was worth it you right. know as opposed to you know, my wife playing a match three game and not being able to get past level two and I or level two hundred and fifty three or whatever it is, and I go, baby, just wait forty eight hours and you'll be able to get through it. And right. sure enough, you know, it's not even forty eight hours now. I think it's down to twenty four. You know, it's like yeah. they're not there to stop you. They're not there to challenge you. They're just there to make you wait. Well, Everything is on. They're timers. just there to habituate you. They want you on a habit clock so that when the habit clock gets interrupted, that irritates you enough to spend money. Right. I mean, it's called a lifestyle game, right? You just yeah. It's just a thing you play every day. I mean, for a long time, for me, that was Spelunky. And I guess Spelunky wasn't getting any of my money once I bought it. That, that was Hearthstone but, for me. Yeah. I mean, I still, I like it. I still play Hearthstone. I play it for, you know, a couple minutes every day. And I don't care if I miss it, but I, I will be upset if I miss it four days. <laughs> can, we, can we look at Heroes of the Storm and why I feel that that's different than... A scummy lifestyle uh, habit clock because it's uh, it's entirely because it's something you're doing with your friends. Yeah, I think that that I mean like that's that. But the like, fact that you said that you wouldn't play it if you didn't have your friends there to play it with you is is evidence enough mm. of that. But like I've given them money, like they're they're they've made money off of me, and they are potentially going to sure, sure. So that is that it... shouldn't be that shouldn't be a stigma. I mean, you enjoyed it pay money hmm. for it it seems like the a next logical progression yeah right. like i don't feel bad giving somebody who get like they provided me with an experience for free that i enjoyed i don't feel bad giving them money in exchange yeah for i that. guess that's the difference i don't feel like i was tricked into giving them money i no and like you you literally paid for some art assets yeah. right like like an artist at blizzard modeled a thing in a computer and you bought a copy of that piece of artwork right so, also so about the yeah, here's the big difference, right? When you bought, when you bought the thing you bought, which you didn't really buy, you just licensed it, right? Because right. <laughs> the, right. the day they turn it off, they're taking it all away, which really annoys me. But, um, and we can talk about that if you like, because I think you should get to keep the art assets in some form after they shut the game down. Mm, like um, glitch. Yes. Um, but I think that you bought that not because it was preventing your progress or it was irritating your habit, you bought it because you wanted to increase, you willfully wanted to increase your investment into that pastime. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It wasn't a paywall that said, here, you're at 10th level. If you want to go to 11th, pay a dollar. Right. I think, it, well, it depends on what you bought, right? Did you buy a character <laughs> or did you buy a skin? I bought two skins. Oh, I bought the, uh, the starter pack to get the... The, the pony. So like I feel like if if you're Dave Serlin, the medic, uh, 
you would say that the fact that all of the characters in that game are not immediately available for all players is a scummy thing mm. to do. No. I, I don't think so. Uh, you can I, you can you can disagree you with can him. Like, I disagree with him. You can play the game and earn gold in game, or you could just put down ten bucks to skip the that right. intermediate stage. For, so for like, me, at its very simplest, it comes down to two things: is there a pathway to ownership without spending money, mm -hmm. and are they using the loss compulsion at all? And what I mean by the loss compulsion is that, it, you know, studies have shown that a human will spend twice as much effort preventing loss as they will trying to assure the same amount of gain. So, hmm. you know, businesses like Clash of Clans are based around their shield sales, right? So when, when people can ruin your base or steal your gems or, or take something from you, whether that's the time you invested or the, or the rewards you have gained, Studies show that humans will, will spend twice as much effort, resources, whatever, to prevent that. And I think that that's a manipulation when you have that kind of, when you have that kind of mechanic in your game. I think that's a manipulation. And I don't think Heroes has that. Well, right, because nobody can take anything no from you in that anything. game. Like, even if you lose, you still get something. Right. Yeah. Yet, like, not enough, like, perhaps. You don't, but... you don't lose one of your heroes if you're not there for a week. That's true. Right. Right? You don't... Hearthstone, the same thing. You don't lose cards because someone raided your spell book and took one of your cards. Yikes. Right? Yep. Although, man, I did play a game for a long time where somebody <laughs> could just delete your account <laughs> if you weren't vigilant. And that game had 25 players, maybe, because that's about how many people were down for that experience, and they really loved it. It was really, really hardcore PvP all the time. There you go. But it wasn't a thing that the developers made any money off of ever. Okay. So I guess it's not a marketable game. Well, some people liked uh, it. 25 people liked it. Yeah, sure, exactly. And that was why they kept it running until they got too busy and couldn't justify the time expense right. anymore. You can raid uh, someone's Dark Souls game, right? And just like. You can, but you can't take anything from them. You can set them back. Sure, but you can't. The amount of stuff that you can that you lose from that, like, say that you you like died and you're running back to get all your stuff that you dropped because you died, and somebody invades you and kills you. Even then, that loss is not going to be huge, mm. uh, in, unless you are playing the game in such a wildly irresponsible manner that you had it coming anyway. <laughs> And it only fulfills one of the two. I mean, for me, like I, I have a saying here that it's never just one thing. I think everything is a component right. of two and or two or more. And if one is there and not the other, it doesn't necessarily rub me the wrongest way. Mm -hmm. You know, like slot machines do exist. People do play them. And you have to put a quarter every spin of the wheel, you know, and, or a dollar or whatever it is. Yep. Man, I don't know where do, where does this discussion go from here. I feel like maybe we've 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 ex we've we've taken this to the the end of this line of inquiry, at least for the short term. So I, I think what we all agree on 
is that games that come from the heart and are meant to delight people close to us are are good endeavors. Oh sure. But they can also become commercial endeavors. Yep. And that games like Heroes and Hearthstone and are are free to play good guys because they um allow you a path, albeit slower path, to victory without having to pay. And so they kind of stay true to the old the old world of, of quote unquote getting everything when you when you bought the game. Uh, right. And I'm not sure what else I, I don't going back to beginner's guide, um, I, I think I think you guys all liked it. I did yeah. like it. Like I said, I liked it. Did you play the Stanley Parable or not? Are you asking me? I'm sorry. Yes, yes. I know that Gordon Paul played I have it. not played the Stanley Okay. I feel like uh, Stanley uh, Parable is sort of a prerequisite reading in order to... I don't know if it's prerequisite. It definitely enhances the message of the Beginner's Guide. Guide is very much... Um, a response to the success yeah. that he found. It, uh, but I'm not sure it's a prerequisite. I think knowing that he had a wildly successful game is probably enough. Yeah, all right. Although, like, I think that the Stanley Parable is a, an experience that is worth having for different reasons. Right. But I think that the begin, like I said, I think I liked the Beginner's Guide more. The Stanley Parable was funny, and it, but it was just it was one joke told over and over again, and it was a pretty funny joke. I, I didn't think it wore out its welcome. I really liked it, and also that joke exists yeah. in the Beginner's Guide uh, in exactly one place that I found. The the, okay. the level with the, uh, the 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 stairs where you slow down. If you turn around at the beginning and go in the opposite direction and try to explore behind those buildings, he jumps in and says, okay. ah, I, I know it's tempting, but uh, there's nothing over here." Actually, there's a second place um, which I found accidentally. Where uh, in that first uh, game, the generic space game that you play, uh, it, after yeah, SS Whisper. After you, um, he teleports you to the end of the maze. If you turn around and go through the maze, like, or I guess if you want to figure it out yourself, go for it. <laughs> Shoot, I should have tried that. I was just too too into the experience. Kevin Kevin solved the solved it by hand Oof. because of course he did. Yeah, of course. Um, so did you guys? Here's a question: Did you guys find the three dots over and over again? Yes. Yeah. And I, and I bet you really at often. no point does it explain what those are. Okay, so here's here's the thing: Do you know what a coda looks like? in music not like that no okay yeah it doesn't look like that but that that the three dots i believe is a symbol in musical notation and i'm trying to remember what it is um yeah i'm not entirely sure um to the internet i'm trying to remember what it is yeah Yeah. uh (laughs) listen to wikipedia list of musical symbols So while while you're doing that there's um there's like a part of this uh game that i uh i was like sort of subtle but not like incredibly uh which was kind of uh coda's gender i guess uh i i thought it was male i thought he said he several he said times. he said he several times but when you were like going through coda's games um you see that uh the character that oh, you yeah, play yeah. is often female um in that one part where you are uh breaking down the walls in the prison is a woman crying um, there's that part where you're uh, being photographed and you're interviewed, or yeah, you, you have Coda and you're like interrogating it. 
uh, or the machine rather, uh, it starts off with, hello ma'am, right. we've been waiting for you. So, I mean, there's like right. small things throughout the game that like sort of imply that Koda is a woman. And... Yeah, the, the image of the prison appearing over and over again. Yeah. And it, it just like, um, it, it makes the narrative very hard to kind of make clear, like, it is very much an unreliable narrator. And after being exposed to a lot of the lies at the end, um, it's hard to know whether Davy in the story knew Koda as a person, like, in real life, and whether what he says um, can even be taken at face value. And I guess, like, a, a lot of the interactions that he has with Coda, especially that entire end museum area, very much feels like the discussion, or not discussion, but the sort of um, distancing people make towards, like, creepy dudes who just don't know when to back off. Yeah, I thought it was an important and meaningful twist when Coda says, and stop putting lampposts in my games. I thought right, that was yeah. an especially, like... I felt that that broke down even further the boundary between Davey and Coda. All right. Well, if people wanted to get into contact with us, how would they do that? We have a sweet website at uh, redpagespodcast.com, which gives you uh, a lot of ways to contact us. Um, easiest being a nice contact form. Uh, and you don't even need to give us a real email or anything for it to work. So, you know, go for it there. Ooh. All right, uh, Ed, if somebody were looking to find your stuff, where might they do that on the internet? So, www.liquid.is, I-S, and my email is right at the bottom of the first page. Cool. Is there anything that anybody wants to, wants to say before we, we sign off? Any last words? You guys, this has been, once again, a very, very enjoyable time. Thank you for letting me talk so much. <laughs> No yeah, no, you're always a great guest. Yeah. And and I always learn so much being on the show, so thank you for inviting me again. No problem. All right. Um from from all of us here, I guess we'll we'll keep on with the truckles time. All right.